Welcome to the Get Deep Podcast, where premium spirits meet quality conversation. Featuring your extremely good-looking co-hosts, Aaron Jones and Wes Otto. Now, take off those floaties, get your ass out of the shallow end, and let's get deep. Alright guys, tonight I'm a little intimidated because I've got two guys with much better radio voices than me. But, tonight we have my friend Bruce Tanoff on the podcast, and for anyone that doesn't recognize that name, they might recognize the Mossad real estate name, which is what he's currently most known for. Uh... Bruce is a good friend of mine. I knew him all the way back in Loyola High School. Mm-hmm. We used to play some sports together. I won't say he kicked my ass, but maybe he did every once in a while on the football field. Um, Bruce, <laughs> Bruce is a serial entrepreneur, I think might be the best way to put it. He's got all kinds of different endeavors that he's working on from, obviously, the real estate front, mm-hmm. um, not just as a realtor, but also as an investor. And also the storage unit business, mm-hmm. uh, media business, into a little bit of agriculture. Yep. And I'm sure I'm leaving some things out. So We'll get into it, I'm sure. That'll be the fun of tonight, is getting to know Bruce on a deeper level. So. I love it. Thank you so much, Bruce, for joining us. I know Wes has been talking about getting your ass on this cast for a while. So we finally made uh, the scheduling work. And I think we need to start off with a ceremonial clank. We missed that the last couple episodes. So let's do this up, boys. Cheers. Cheers, indeed. So, Bruce, tell us about yourself. I told you that was the question you were going to have to be ready yeah. for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Loyola grad, 2008, born and raised in Mankato. Um, I did plenty of traveling in my younger years, so I kind of knew that Mankato was like where I wanted to end up, regardless of where I saw. So, I love it here. Um, the community is great. Um, and yeah, started. At all at Loyola. I'm a fourth generation Loyola graduate, so my mom's family is all through Loyola. Um, I'm the oldest of three boys, Todd and Sue. Um, my brothers Rob and Connor, um, two years younger and six years younger, so oldest well, of three boys. For my own curiosity, did Todd's family go to Loyola at all? No. Uh, Todd is from uh, originally born in Brainerd and moved to Granite Falls area, so he went to uh, Granite Falls High School, which is now Yellow Medicine East. Okay. Um, and then his family lives in Montevideo, so, which is like 15 minutes from. So He is Catholic, though, right? Yes. Okay, thank God. Devout. I was going to have to say some really rude things. But <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure you would. It. No, I'm kidding. Um, so outside of high school, the other thing that I think um, – was fun about you, Bruce, is the Angie's Kettle Corn connection. Mm-hmm. So people probably know more so Boom Chicka Pop nowadays. Yep, yep. But you were an early employee with Angie's. I was. Mm. I believe I was the 11th or 12th employee there. Um, so Dan was my uh, eighth grade basketball coach and Spanish teacher. Um, so I started uh, the relationship there. Um, and then they were just starting out in the garage at, during high school, and then my summer of my senior year, they started down at the what is now uh, Blinds and More was where we operated out of. So they started down at the, off of um, Belgrade, and from there, uh, I was just working in the factory during the, the mini factory. There's not the same big factory they have <laughs> up off of uh, Howard now, or not Howard. Uh, yeah, it's Howard, right? Thank you, right? I think yeah. that's around there. Um, so yeah, we started there, and then after probably the first couple of weeks of getting trained in and 
being a young kid and just figuring out if I was worth putting any training into, uh, started working at the Moondogs games. And that's when it kind of started for me as like what I did for a long time. And by working, you were popping? Popping, yep. Uh, <laughs> we were stirring the kettle, getting hot and sweaty during the July, June, July, August time frame. It was never a, a dull moment at the Moondogs game. A lot of friends came from that. And I know a lot of the folks uh, in Mankato that know me probably knew me from that before they knew me from anything else. So... Um, it was me and all my high school friends that were working there at the time. Yeah, well, and that's one of the reasons why I made that jump from Loyola to mm-hmm. Angie's is because you said Dan was a teacher there, yep. and he was there before I was in the high school side of it, so I don't really remember him as a teacher myself. He was just our middle school Spanish teacher. Oh, so middle he was, school. He was okay. only there from, like, I think, 6th, 7th, 8th grade for Spanish, okay. and then I transitioned out in high school. Gotcha. Um so when it came to Angie's, you were employee number 11, you were popping popcorn, and that's one of the things that I don't know, I, I assume some people, but not everyone knows about Angie's, is that it was not the go to your grocery store and buy it off the shelf kind of business, at least not for several years. I, I don't know how long it was before they became a consumer product good. Sure. Um, um, but they were doing events, right? And you were leading events. I was part of that big transition from the grocery store was happening right at that time. So when we were actually working at the factory, we were, we were producing for the Lunds and Byerleys up in the cities and some of the Kowalskis and the smaller grocers, uh, kind of like the St. Peter Co-op. Uh, that size grocery was where we first got into it. And and I might botch some of the dates and timelines, but I'm pretty sure they would have been doing it for about 10 years before it was like really the grocery store product that you see today. Um, so when I started, it was 2000 and seven and that was when they just kind of got the big kickoff with uh the vikings was going on in full speed with that had finally kind of been like a seasonal thing for them um and then the grocery store kind of came from that because people started to recognize it up in the cities and once you get in with the vikings it's only natural that you either get completely pulled into the whirlwind or you get spit out right away and they definitely made it through that um, I do know that the the small bit of story is that Dan was really good friends with Shane Boyer, who ran the training camp for MSU and had all the students and, and everybody that set up for that. And then that kind of translated to getting to know the Viking players and staff. And then that translated into let's just drop off like six boxes, which is like 300 bags of popcorn over at Gage and – after that it was over like the guys were just calling like hey we need more of that we need more of that so that's kind of the the kickoff and that was way before me um that was how dan kind of got the role into it and then when i started was vikings established moving into grocery stores well shout out chase boyer yeah 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 absolutely what a what a cool store i mean just in general where they started you know, um, in a garage, in a garage, you know, put $10,000 on a credit card from my recollection of their story, mm-hmm. bought equipment to eventually wanting to put their kids through college. Right. Yep. It was yep. the goal and took a risk. Yeah. And, and how their cool kids are going through college. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Slightly. Yep. Uh, and, uh, they're both retired now, uh, or yeah. could be if they wanted to be, of course, many times over with, with where the company has gone, but they're successful so cool. in their own right, but now they kind of do more what they want to do. They're mm-hmm. really helping other people, which has always been Dan and Angie's mission. I mean, sure. you just talk to either of them, and they're like the sweetest people, and they only care about making the best situation um, for what they're involved in, and they don't do anything half-assed by any means. So a lot of what 
inspired me to get into entrepreneurship was just how Dan carried himself. Mm-hmm. And when I first started, Dan was primary because Angie was still a nurse, nurse practitioner, I believe is what she was doing. Um, or in some kind of nursing. And then when the business kind of took full flight and it was needing Angie as the face, that's when it kind of transitioned away from it a little bit. And again, I'm sure if you guys ever had them on, they'll correct my story here, but uh, you know, that was just really kind of the inspiring part of it is like, I just saw myself wanting to do that because I got swept up into it. It was a passion. Like I loved it as much as they did in my mind. I had all my best friends working for me as a manager. I was able to travel all over um, from East coast to West coast and get the full experience. And yeah, it was just a really, really um, empowering time for me to really test how good I was at, at either being in business, working in a business, or managing staff, which is never easy, no. as both of you guys know. I was going to ask you, um, so you said you were traveling all over, right? Mm-hmm. You were traveling all over with Angie's? Yep. Uh, yep. What, where were you going? What were you doing when you were traveling all over? Were you promoting the product at different events? Yeah, so it started just local base. um uh doing all the Vikings games. Then when we got the twins contract, we were the right when they opened target field, we started doing popcorn at target field. And that was bonkers because it, it was sold out every night for the first year and the twins were good and they went to the playoffs. And so we were pre popping, we called it where we prepped everything for the twins games. So we were pre popping anywhere from three to 600 bags, which took anywhere from six to eight hours of prep time, drove it up to the cities by like noon to one o'clock, to get down on the plaza by like 3, 3.30. And then you'd start selling before four hours before the game. And then we had a setup up there that we were popping to try to keep up. And we were selling anywhere from like three to 900 bags in a day, depending on who was in town, the Yankees or the, or the Red Sox or whatever. And so that portion of it translated into needing the transition into like the boom chicka pop side of things is where we started traveling for demo events essentially promoting the product at grocery stores right outside we'd live pop in like chicago was when i first started traveling heavy we'd go to chicago probably two or three times a year uh iowa with all the high v's we'd travel down there um and then uh it started just kind of blossoming into just getting beyond the kettle corn and once you got we didn't really ever do like the what everybody knows is sea salt popcorn the, right the sweet not the sweet and salty we did the sweet and salty on live like that was what we like that was the main thing you were selling just the one kind sweet and salty live popping live popping but then we would have all the other bags so the live popping drew everybody in because the smell and the aromatics and everybody just you know drooling over it and then we'd like oh yeah we have these six other flavors that you can try like take samples and they're the little sample chip size bags and half ounce bags and we just give them out we went from yeah, Chicago, we went to Iowa, Des Moines area, West Des Moines. Uh, we made a trip down to South by Southwest and handed out like, I think 35,000 samples Jeez. in like three or four days. Wow. Uh, a bunch of us just jumped in a van, drove down, handed out <laughs> as much popcorn as we possibly could to anybody and everybody that would take it. And uh, then, yeah, it was just kind of a crazy experience. I went to... Just to pause, yeah. 3,500 yeah. or 35,000? I just wanted to clarify. And when you say jumped in a van, did you have like a semi following you with 35,000? No, so funny, funny image. Imagine like large condoms essentially is what we pack these <laughs> things into. Um, we call uh, them ender. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the large condoms. I'm sure. Wes I'm sure. laughed because uh, he's not. Thanks, thanks, but, thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, it, was, we'll get there, it was the imagery that you needed. You got it you figured it out oh, I'll, yeah. I'll explain it to you so oh, they're thanks. they're big bags essentially um they're like they're like Jeez. seven feet tall essentially when they were stood on end yeah aaron has no experience yeah, with no. that oh come on 
but okay. you could you could fill them up, and we we would pack as many samples as we could. We were just doing the boom chicka pop sea salt, so essentially we just tried to take all the air out of the bags, pack them in as tight as we could, and then we had a big trailer that we brought. I think it was like a twelve by seven foot trailer, and we just stuffed the thing as full as we possibly could. And then we had a twelve passenger van that we took down there. And wow. We were driving this big pink machine down and, and how uh, many of you did that? Twelve passenger van, but it was a twelve of you in there? No. I think it was the eight of us total. Wow. What an experience. Twenty four hour straight drive down. I'm sure some of the shifts. stories you can't share with us probably. Uh, most so. of them are PG. I mean okay. we we'd worked pretty much from the time we got up to the time we were done. Um we, it was it was a little challenging because we'd never been to South by Southwest, mm-hmm. and, and some of the, the people that had gone down there didn't really like necessarily know what to do, and we were just kind of figuring it out. But it was it was a great experience because we handed them all out, and people knew about it. The only uh, downside was the amount of time driving for sure. That was that was taxing. So um, were you walking around with them? I mean, mm-hmm. not to obsess about the disbursement, but just thinking about that kind of volume, you would imagine you'd want to stand and you'd want to... No, we like, were just, we were just trying to find out what the best event was going on that day. Like Tyler, yeah. the creator, was down there. That was when he was just kind of getting okay. onto the scene. I think this was like 2011. That had to be early South by Southwest, yeah. right? Yeah, I it mean, wasn't, it wasn't super like as big as... Not as it is, it is now, right now, no. But it was still hopping it was yeah there was thousands and thousands of people walking it was still a festival um, mm-hmm. they, but we were more focused in like the uh, arena area versus like the concert venue side of things so we walked around basically santa claus in these bags <laughs> over our shoulder <laughs> and we would take anywhere from two to four of the bags to a location so like on i think it's sixth street is like the big um music yeah. spot we we set up two people per bag and like every other block and just handed it out to people and going in and out of bars and stuff. And it was just getting demolished. Um, So yeah, we were there for three days and we drove down in one day, handed out all of them in three, three full days. And then we drove back the fourth day and it was pretty, that was one of the the better trips. And then uh, 2000, let's see, 2014, 2015, uh, my, one of my best friends, Pete Hager, and I drove all the way across from Mankato to the East Coast, and we spent uh, two months traveling up and down the East Coast, handing out samples, doing wow. live events, doing giveaways. Uh, we went Chicago to Pittsburgh to uh, Virginia, and then from Virginia we went up to um, Boston, Rhode Island, uh, New York, New York City, upstate New York, Um and then some of the smaller towns in Maryland, Virginia, we were in, like, uh, Alexandria, so we got to see, like, we went and did the touristy stuff when we could, when we had the time, but we were driving a 12-passenger van with a 12-foot trailer, so trying to drive in New York City traffic was about as sketchy as it ever gets. Just the two of you. <laughs> Just the two of us. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, an experience, so I was 20, how old would I have been? Yeah, like 23, 24, somewhere sure. there. And, uh, yeah, Pete and I were just... Two bums driving around handing out popcorn. Handing out popcorn. Yeah, what it was story. pink, pink van and all. People were looking at us <laughs> like we were just nuts. <laughs> at what point in the Angie's story did you think, okay, like this is this is big time. Like this is a, a company that's going places. They're really doing a big time. I mean, was it early on, just because you've got an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit in mind, but or was it like later on when you? got that commission to go out to the East Coast with Pete that you're like, holy shit, they're paying us 
to do this. I'm assuming uh, they were paying you to do that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> so driving up and down that coast, all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you know, you're you're basically putting this popcorn brand on the map for a lot, a lot of people. And it was, you know, semi-known in some of these smaller places. Uh, it was definitely like the first time people had been introduced to it. And sure. Like, you know, in, in any Sam's Club or, or a Costco you go into, they're sampling. You know, they're selling sampling something. So that might be your first experience every time that you go into that one product. So the thought behind it was when there was going to be a grand opening of some kind that we would be there. And when I started seeing that in the Minneapolis area, just that the recognition in Minneapolis was second to none just based on the Vikings. So really, I mean, it, was, it wasn't more than two or three years into it. When I went full-time, so I left college to do this full-time, and... Like, that's when I kind of knew. The, the same year that we went into the Twins, they basically were like, we would need you full-time. And I was like, yeah, by all means. Like, this is what I wanted. This is what I was going to school for anyway. Why wouldn't I? Sure. The full-on business experience to, to match the college experience. Like, I don't need to do any more of these what-ifs, these... Uh, what do they call those? In, I don't even know. Hypotheticals in, or internships? No, that's what no, I was going to yeah. call it. <laughs> yeah, no, case studies. Oh, sure. not, I don't yeah. need to do any more case studies and write about it. I just need to go do it. And so that's when I, when I really knew. And then the twins year, the first year with the twins was just really solidified. Like, this thing is nuts. Because we, every single day, were popping hundreds and hundreds of bags of popcorn. Um, and then at the same time, twins is going on at training camp. So we had a staff of like 14 of us. And we're splitting between all of it, and and I'm I'm the manager at that point in time, and like the 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 same time that this is all going on, we're producing thousands and thousands of bags up at Howard Drive facility, going all over the Midwest and East and West Coast. So like at this point, you kind of like it was, yeah, we're jamming right now, and so it was a pretty cool thing to be integral a part of, because I was on the forefront of the, all the marketing stuff that was going on. I wasn't the marketing person by any means, mm-hmm. but you know, you're involved in top level marketing conversations as a 22 year old. That's pretty cool. Right. Very cool. So it was, it was the opener for sure. What was the, I mean, what an experience, but what's the, if you could narrow it down to the best lesson you learned during that experience um, Hmm. with Angie's and that whole situation, what's the best lesson you learned about life or business? Hmm. I think, well, one of the biggest things I learned was from Dan, just that, like, you know, you can really get a lot out of the people that are around you. Like, he he brought everybody with him. And, like, my biggest thing, especially since I've gone on from Angie's, is that, like, I don't want to be at the top alone. I want to bring everybody along with me that I care about. And that was so Dan in his message. It was, like, whether it was the guy's brother of – uh, somebody that wanted to work at a, at a random game, he wanted that person to be part of it because it was better that people were wanting to be in something inclusive and enjoyable. Um, I mean, it was Shane's uncle that was Donnie Boyer that was up on, on the twins schlepping corn. He was like the uh, Wally the Beer Man of the, <laughs> the kettle corn world. And whether it was him or somebody that was randomly in Chicago that was a salesperson, like it was a family. And it was very, very cool how it was a family at that time. And obviously, as it got huge, I mean, it was just less and less about that. But right. in the in the time window that was, like, the coolest, what I took most away about it is that Dan, like, brought his best friends and his family members and helped really grow the not only just the wealth, but, like, the well-being of all the people around him. And that's really what I feel like I took the most out of from that is that there's no point in doing all the work that you do if you're just going to do it and be 
fat and happy about yourself. Yeah. So that's, that, good that's for sure. I like that. So you started with Angie's in 2007, back when you were still in high school. Mm-hmm. And when did you end up wrapping up your time there? Uh, it would have been May 7th of 2015. The exact date. That was yeah. good. Yeah. 2000, did you say 17? 15. 15, okay. Um, why do you know the date? Because I'm weird with the dates. Okay. <laughs> I thought maybe there was a significant event. Outside no, of well, I mean, reading. it was my life for eight years, so that yeah. was pretty, I mean, that was, it was, it was a great day to leave, but it was also like, it was tough for yeah. sure. But it was the when you when you finally hang up the old pop and yeah. pop and kettle corn for for your living. It was it was an interesting transition. But yeah, I know that for sure because I know my start date at my new job because I was like sure. I'm gonna take like a month off and I was like seven days later I'm <laughs> working again. So just couldn't have that much uh, free time. Yeah, like you were saying Bruce. earlier. I mean, free time's really not. Uh, I, I don't like just sitting around. No, it's kind of dangerous for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when we. Uh, not to talk about, uh, you know, the dreaded C word, COVID, but when our business was uh, forced to shut down for five, six weeks with being not considered non-essential, mm-hmm. um, so many times in my life, I was like, gosh, it'd be so nice, ever since working, mm-hmm. you know, as a, an adult, it'd be nice to have like a month off. It'd be really nice to have a month off. And then I got six weeks off, and after about 10 days, I was dying inside, mm-hmm. and I was drinking way more than I should sitting on my patio by myself drinking because my wife was pregnant with our first child. So it got really bored really fast. You know, For I sure. think people are meant to, to do things and, and, uh, some and people aren't, but those be, that do, yeah, <laughs> you, it's, it's, I feel like it's a very perpetual thing. Like sure. you, you just kind of have that inertia to keep going and when yeah. it just stops, it's hard. So maybe you answered this already, or maybe it's, it's, uh, obvious with, obvious with the timeline of Angie's, but why after eight, eight years, you mm-hmm. said, Yep. May 7, 2015. Yep. Um, something else happened. You transitioned. The company was sold. What was the... Yeah, it was the it was the sale prior to uh, ConAgra's sale. So okay. I don't remember the exact name of the company. That TPG? Bought. Yes, that's right. Yep, TPG. So, so TPG, that buyout really changed the way the landscape that they were going. And the event staff wasn't as integral at that time. Um, we were becoming less dependent on those actions. The twins had slowed down with as far as like being on the plaza. We were no longer like daily needing there. It was more like what's the big games going to be. And we were selling more just in stadium because sure. you know, economically it didn't make sense to staff people. If there's only 18 people in the plaza prior to the game and everybody's walking in right at that first pitch. So sure. um, Vikings was always nuts. We never stopped doing Vikings, but that was when they stopped. I mean, I think it was two years or a year or two prior to that they had gone to TCF so they were no longer at the dome because that was getting renovated into U.S. Bank. Yep. So that that timeline slowed down the event world for us. And after that uh, boom tour that we went on out to the East Coast, that was what our next like linear transi- transition was to try to be in the marketing. Well, you know that was a great trip and all, but it didn't didn't really benefit as much as just having in store samplings and and hiring people locally to do that. Um, I mean, we did we did what we were supposed to do, but ultimately you just find things out when you're doing that kind of a, a large scale, gone for two months, hotels, all that kind of stuff. It's not sustainable to do that level of marketing um, in a way that was effective for the company's outlook. Sure. So we our roles got reduced. We were 
put more into a R and D and um, just helping with the, the the food science side of things. So we were developing different flavors and helping with the rollout of the chocolate and the chocolate covered drizzled popcorn and all that. So that kind of became more of an in house um, situation. So we were less less employees, and it just became time. Sure, um, you know I. I definitely could have continued to work there in some capacity, but I felt like if I wasn't doing what I was enjoying about it and what, the way I got into it, I was not cut out to be in the factory. I needed to be in the sales force or the marketing side of things. That just is my personality and who I was. So, yeah, it just was it was time. Do you still eat? Uh, do you like popcorn? I love it. Um, Paige and I eat it all the time. That's like, that's great. I mean, we make I, it stove top. We don't. We don't. I don't. Do you really you make it stove top? Yeah. It's fantastic. Almost like probably <laughs> four nights a week. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix and popcorn. Yeah. Mm. It's good times. That's good. Do you have a favorite Angie's flavor? Uh, that? Yeah, but it's the stuff that none, nobody can get their hands on because it was the, the trial and error stuff. Like we had some crazy good spicy popcorn for a while. That, really? Like we had a sweet and spicy that went out on stores, but there was just like, uh, there was a... There was a like a cumin spiced one that was super good. There was a, a salt and pepper one that went like basically only went as far as the door and nobody like but I just loved it. Um, but if if you're talking about the mainstream, the sweet and salty is just like out of yeah. the fresh out of the kettle. It's I mean it's Fantastic. hard it's hard to beat. Yeah. It's, so you just make the other spicier flavors at home because you know how to do it and oh yeah, they, yeah, yeah. you know the recipes yeah. and all that <laughs> jazz. No, I can't ruin the whole batch because otherwise Paige wouldn't eat me and then I'd have to eat the whole thing and you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, God forbid. The worst. So do we need to hold you down to get that recipe for the salt and pepper one after the you know, during this episode or after the episode? Yeah, we can't put it on there. He's Sorry. pretty tough. Yeah. He's he's looking. He's pretty tough. He's got some big he arms. Gave me a look. It's going to take both of us, mm. but we will get it out and we'll, type, we'll do the typewriter on his chest. The typewriter, there you I go. I haven't had that. <laughs> I used to do that to my brother. <laughs> yeah, so did I. I'm the middle, though. So you're the oldest, yeah, so, so you were always kind of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm how the many, middle. How many uh, candy bars can you name? Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never used that one. I just <laughs> continue to do it and laugh. Yeah. Well, speak, an asshole. speaking of the family front, uh, you know, it seems pretty obvious knowing you now, but did you know when you were going into college, obviously you were going to study business, um, and then you went into Angie's, did you already have that kind of passion for business and an interest in doing things entrepreneurially? Because I know your dad, and he's, yeah. he's got that same type of energy to him and, and passion for business. So for sure. Was that a, a familial thing? Was that something you learned along the way? In high school, I thought I was going to be a history teacher. Um, but then I was like, man, history teachers don't make anything. <laughs> so, and I love, I love that there's people out there that are passionate about that. And I would, you know, consider myself wanting to do that at some, in a different life for sure. But, um, just kind of being around my dad and my dad is, uh, definitely one of my biggest inspirations and my hero. I mean, I, I hope that as you are a dad now is that's the goal for you too to have your kids be inspired but yeah i mean whether it was supporting me in in sports or if it was supporting me in the business front like call with a question call with how to handle situations i had a, a crappy customer or something that would just bark at me for nothing and you know get the feedback of the old man that's had enough people bark at him you know so yeah a lot of it did come from dad but then it was just also like being raised in that environment of my my dad's upbringing style was like he'd just call somebody on the phone and give you the phone be like here talk to this person <laughs> <laughs> that is very tough and, and i was like what what do i say to this person you know we'll figure it out figure it out yeah so, i like that 
So I can uh, so picture Todd doing that. Well, it, it's also, don't you feel like so far removed from today's oh, for sure. young generation yeah. or young kids? And that, that old, I think it's, it's kind of coming full circle. I, I want my children, they're very young. My son is going to be two in July and I've got a daughter who's two months, but I want to be the type of parents that encourage them to go uh, over to the neighbors across the street, for sure. down the block and knock on their door with their bike and say, for Hey, sure. want to play? Yep. I want to get back to that. Or can so-and-so, you know, come out and run in the park with me or whatever. I mean, I think those things are great. Or what your father did to you to hand that phone over. Um, yeah. So I got my first job was he just literally said, here, Dan Schmidt's on the phone. Yeah. You're going to get a job at Ivy. Talk to him. No, <laughs> and you think about it now, isn't that just, genius almost in a way to force you outside the comfort zone to do that as much as it was uncomfortable at the time oh for sure credit dad but don't do that <laughs> well i think i, like he, it. I, I think he knew his son and he knew that his son would figure it out not sure. all kids are gonna actually they're gonna sink before they're gonna learn how to swim yeah and sometimes that's yeah. necessary too i just i just vividly remember the old nokia brick getting handed <laughs> off to me. and yeah i mean that was that was a big part of it was the fam- familial side of things um I mean, my dad is a hustler for sure. He just works his butt off and he has his whole, whole life. So anybody that knows him, he's always, he's always in go mode. So it just came naturally to me. Um, but with everything you learn from him, but you also learn what to do and what not to do. And, you know, you lean on your, your family. I have a very tight knit family, very close. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, I don't run anything important by anybody other than my family first and then move from there. So, sure. but I have a pretty big cir- circle in my opinion. I mean, this town allows for that in my opinion. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cool I would feel very similarly. I, I do a lot of the same things with my business moves. I'm running it past my mom and my dad. And it's nice to be able to have that kind of advisory board or sounding board mm-hmm. and, and have a understanding of their perspective and where they come from and their experiences. And it's a cool combination, right? Because you're getting the advice that you need, but at the same time, you're also getting that next level connection. You know, oh, yeah. you get to have that continued reason to interact and do more with them. Oh, for so. sure. I mean, there's not a lot of Tanhoffs in this area at all. I mean, there's really not a lot that I know of ever. So, like, if I say my name, and most people know my dad, and I'm sure that that's, you know, to each their own. But, you know, I, I think it's usually a pretty awesome thing when somebody can know that, they have the it's it's like better than cold calling obviously because you have a warm introduction just by having right. that name sure yeah. the name recognition so it comes with a you can only do so much with it because it's got to be you that's the person you know like mm-hmm. my dad might know you but you don't know me from anybody so but at least there's something it's funny when I was having that lunch with Laura Babcock mm-hmm. uh, she goes yeah I was I was having lunch with Todd Tanoff and I mentioned I was looking to sell my house and he goes well you know my son's a realtor right yeah <laughs> so it is it is definitely nice to be able to lean on that yeah too. dad's so. proud of his kids he's very proud of his boys and he he makes sure everybody knows it and that's awesome yeah I mean, definitely the reason I want to be a dad is because my dad I had the best upbringing in my opinion yeah. so that's cool. And my mom, too. I mean, she, she doesn't get mentioned as much because she's not out in the community. But my mom, she's, yeah, she's raised three boys. So can, you can only imagine. I mean, between yeah. everything, all the sports and running around and doing all the things that they allowed us to do, like nothing happens without the anchor. And she's for sure that person. Right. She always said she was never going to be our best friends until after we were able to be not their best friends. So yeah. um, it's part of the deal, I'm sure. But. She used to help out with the theater program at Loyola a lot, so that's how yes. I knew her most, uh, her and, and Kim Rochettel. Yep. And uh, I remember she would, 
first of all, she was just a sweetheart. Oh, yeah. Uh, but she also had a great sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. I remember listening to her and Kim tell zero jokes filter. about other kids when maybe they thought no one was oh, listening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Zero filter. <laughs> yeah. That's my uh, mom she's for sure. Good. Yeah. But, yeah, my mom is extremely talented in ways that people don't really get the recognition for anymore. I mean, like, she can pretty much make anything like she's like i love diy i like to do home improvements and all that stuff but it didn't come from my dad my mom was raised in that environment so everything that i knew about that side of things in my life was totally mom oriented she's in there fixing plumbing and working on stuff for grandpa my grandpa her dad was a plumber of 45 years for mankato plumbing so like the whole side of that came from her she can she's a seamstress she can sew anything she made all the costumes for like 45 kids for uh with with help of others for sure but she was the main lead for costume design for all the plays when i was in school so yeah yeah, she's she can do it all she's a hell of a woman that's something that jay longs is in need of and i'm sure sue is not she's not available available. but maybe the (laughs) audience uh if anyone knows anyone She's not available, of course, relationship wise, but is she available as a tailor? I'll talk I'll talk to her about it. Jay Long's give her a little nudge. Yeah. For me. I mean She's a grandma now, so she uh, not my kid, but my brother Rob's. So she's Do both your brothers have kids? No. No. Uh, my younger brother Connor is uh, getting married in December. Okay. And then Rob has Nora. She just turned one in March. Love that name. And uh, yeah, so Paige and I get married in September, so it's a busy time for the Tanoff family. Let's uh, let's talk about your fiance for a moment. So oh, she's gonna hate this. This is good. That's why. That's why we do things. My wife also sometimes hate when I mention things. Sure. But we your had her on recently. Your actually. wives might get along. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, they've got some similar backgrounds. Do they? Is your wife a therapist? No, well, she went to uh, MSU. Uh, she got her undergrad in psychology and gender and women's studies, and then okay. she got her master's in um, clinical psychology from MSU. Wow. So. Page, 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 go getter. She, she's a, she's a go getter. She works hard. Yeah, it makes a awesome. lot of sense why Bruce is with her when yeah. you free when you psychology. About psychology. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, where they, I was going. With yeah. They've got multiple, uh, you know, what do they call those uh, fainting couches throughout their um, residence? Yeah. yeah, that's what they're called, right? First fainting floor, couch. second floor, yeah. and then out in the garage. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I'm that's always great. in therapy. There you go. <laughs> I love it. I feel blessed also with my wife Molly. She's she's great. Um, she tends to level out not that not that i'm real crazy or anything like that but i do get my business my business ideas going and my my creative juices flowing and i've got a notebook by my bed and it's like wake up at three and all of a sudden wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to write stuff down a lot of it doesn't come to fruition but no but it's pensive man it's the best therapy for a business person in my opinion i learned that from dan and angie too is like they they literally have notepads next to their bed so when they wake up in the middle of the night and like have this panic attack that they forgot something they could at least write it down because what are you going to do at four in the morning but then sometimes there's, days, there's four. Up. Yeah, I was just gonna say. Then there's days where you just get up and your day starts at four a.m. Yeah, and you see some beautiful sun sunrises, and uh, it's awesome. Pot of coffee later, you're yeah ready to roll. Jittery as, as heck, and then the rest of the uh, the the rest of the family gets up to my case, and they're yeah. like, "Well, my kids, you know, can't really talk yet." But my wife's like, "What? Are you okay? Like, what's going on?" You know, yeah, I just made health. breakfast for 12. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Why did you make the old carton of eggs? Yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, no, but it's fun. Would you would you consider yourself a, a creative Bruce? Or would you consider yourself just a, a thinker and a hard worker? Or what, what, what would you consider yourself if somebody um, narrowed you down to one word? One or two, word? Or two words, maybe. 
I think you could use three, but not not four. Yeah, no more than uh, no more. Than There's three. limits to this, guys. <laughs> Look at us. We're not that advanced yeah. over here. I will speak slowly. <laughs> um, I would say serial entrepreneur is pretty pretty accurate, but as a personality type, I'm definitely just a hard worker. Like okay. I just nose in the grindstone. That's sure. how I was raised. Um, just I'm not flashy. I try to just be. For, I mean, as humble as saying that you're humble is, uh, I'd like to be that way. Uh, and I just think it's um, more about the upbringing that I was raised in. I was middle class for sure. And, you know, not necessarily pull it up by your bootstraps, but definitely like earn your own keep type of thing. Right. Uh, my, my parents, I think this is a great thing that I will definitely pass on is like, if I wanted to be in a sport, I had to pay for half the entry fee and I had to pay for my shoes or half of the shoes depending upon the year. And it was every year, every sport. So if I didn't do that, it was were in last year's until I could earn the, the next year's. So that to me is like a, a really good lesson in life is that you shouldn't, you shouldn't just be given certain things, mm-hmm. um, especially the things that you really like to do because it really makes it more than just like, like just think of how many things you could have done in your life that somebody's just like, yeah, you can do this without consequence. Well, right. no, I'm, I got money on the line now and $75 as a kid is a lot of money. Oh right? yeah. So a lot of lawns you got to mow to get that 75 bucks. A lot of carts you got to push at high V. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of papers you got to throw at doors. A lot, of, a lot of be free press. A lot of buffet yeah. stocking at Applewood. Yeah. 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 Ooh, Applewood. That's <laughs> getting into those early jobs. Yeah. 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 My, uh, my mom and my stepfather did the same thing with the half pain situation. Mm-hmm. You pay half kind of thing. I remember you guys talking about that with your, uh, yeah, your yeah. bikes. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, you know, it is, um, as shitty as, as it was at the time. And sometimes how it made me a little bit jealous of my friends who didn't have to do that. I so much appreciate it. Now looking back sure. on the lessons that it taught. And, um, I think it's great. I think it's great what your parents did there. And I oh, think for it's sure. great minded. And I think it does teach you, especially the, the wants. They always made sure the needs were taken care of. It's not like, they yeah. were like, hey, you pigeon half of that toilet paper. Yep. <laughs> if they did, well, I would probably have to figure it out or yeah. I'd be wiping with old t-shirts. Well, or something. with how much but, you went through, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't. But yeah, you are <laughs> the reason for this whole <laughs> issue. <laughs> Yeah, we're oh, getting funny. deep here. Hey, hey. Uh, no, I think it's a great lesson, though. I think it, it does teach the value of money, which obviously uh, runs everything and allows you to have experiences in life that are um, what you want, what you need, and and uh, that's awesome. Sometimes the money side of it, it, I think, gets caught up in the minutia of it, but more that the fact that the effort that goes into the urn is more important than the actual outcome of the urn. Because yeah. I could have mowed 10 lawns for $5 and it right. wouldn't matter. But that $5 went a hell of a lot more valuable at five lawns than it would have been at, you know, just getting five bucks right. for, yeah. for something. Yeah. And we didn't, I mean, like, allowance in our in our household was based on chores done. Like there was a chart on the fridge. And you got a quarter for this and you got yeah. a dime for this. And, yep. and then at the end of the week, you got whatever you did. And if you didn't do enough to earn, you got like 15 cents and you're like, okay, <laughs> good <Yeah>. job. <laughs> well, I got to go buy some gumballs at Sinclair station. Yeah. Can I go ride the bike to quick trip on campus yeah. and spend everything I just earned on <laughs> sour gummy worms and a Fanta? Why not? It's that's, delicious. It's a good spend. Worms. Are you a sour gummy worm fan? Is that your jam? Yeah. I love, I love sour. Do you like candy? candy. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, to, Sa- to, sour patch kids. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Chewy sprees is where the jam is though. Okay. Yeah, sure. A little tart for me, but now the audience really knows. Do you, okay, so back that feeling, head. that's Warheads for me. Remember warheads Warheads sure. growing up, like the challenge was to have six in your, or yeah. ten in your mouth at one time. And Which it was is just like, how dumb is that? It, it's pretty dumb. <laughs> I actually had the opportunity to have a couple Warheads a few months back. 
and uh, they weren't as bad as I remembered them being. Honestly, I, I slurped that that thin layer of sourness oh, yeah. off the, the top end, and because like, you're oh, seasoned vet, you're a seasoned vet. You I didn't was. put it right on the tongue; you put it right into the cheek yeah. first. You're yeah, smarter than of course. That. Look right? at you two. Yeah, I, I told you that you two needed to meet, and now you're already bonding over warheads. I knew this was going to work out well. See, it's not that Bruce, we haven't met before. It's well, that I we know. haven't not we haven't gotten deep, deep before. Love. We haven't had a chance to get deep. And that's no, what, look at what this podcast creates. That's right. Friendships you know. and memories. Mm. Love it. Love and it. babies on occasion. Your hands are so soft, Bruce. <laughs> you're welcome. Yes, and this candle's burning so bright. Wes, could you dim the lights? Uh, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, not to keep hitting the timeline. No, but you're good. I think I think one of the things we mentioned in Najwa's episode was that yes. you were a past employee. I don't know the exact timeline of when you left Angie's. What all you know occurred as far as work history is concerned, but I know one of the stops was Olives. Yep. Seven days after. And I know that because I That's had many a drink at that bar once I knew Bruce mm-hmm. was the bartender. That was one of my regular haunts. Yep. What did I order the most? Old fashioned. Yes. Always a whiskey Amen. guy. Amen. So, um, or if Queen was in, yes. then it would change. Yes. So Queen Booker? Bruce used to serve Queen and I quite a bit. We, we tended to go to Dino's quite a bit, but sure. Queen Booker and I would go to Olive's. She really liked Olive's. There was a blue martini of some sort. Yes, she the Olive Teeny. Yeah, she was a big fan of that Olive Teeny. Yeah. Is it still there? They serve that there? No, I don't think it's on the menu anymore, but if, okay. if you asked it, I'm sure. sure Car- if Carla's working, she can make it. But okay. not. It's funny because when I still show up sometimes... I've found that every time that there's a new bartender, I just happen to land on their first shift that I'm there. <laughs> so then, you and I went there for dinner. Yeah, when night. Joe's first night yeah. was there, and I was, he's just like, "What do I do, man?" <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like teaching him on the fly how to make certain drinks. It, it's fun. Yeah, well, you it's designed great. their drink menu too, right? Uh, I have a couple of them on there. Yeah, the uh, the Old Town is one of my creations, and then the uh, uh, oh shoot, what's the name of it now? Bees Knees. Uh, oh, that's bees a knees, that's yeah. a play on a different drink that typically has. Uh, gin or vodka but i just made it work for whiskey and i'm sure that these aren't like foundational creations so i'm not like hanging my hat on like you created the next <laughs> manhattan um <laughs> but no I, the old town is is definitely one and that i, I think is has become more of a staple there and then the uh saint sazerac so sazerac mm-hmm. is your typical rye whiskey and absinthe but instead of the absinthe because it just doesn't usually go as often um, we use St. Germain, yeah, elderflower liqueur, so it sweetens it up. I was just talking to a buddy of mine about the Sazerac, and I'm mm-hmm. like, you know who introduced that to me first? It was Bruce. Yeah. So. yeah. I think that's what I had last time I was there for dinner, actually, yeah. it was the Sazerac. It was yeah. very delicious. Mm, you're welcome. So thank you, Bruce, yeah. for all your <laughs> services yeah, it was so contributions to life. Yeah, it, I can die a happy man now. <laughs> That's it. You have your legacy. Yeah, it'll be on the uh, Everest. on the headstone. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. one of the things I wanted to say with that though is, is Aaron and I have wanted to do a speakeasy for quite a while. I think we talked mm-hmm. about that on Ashley's episode. Yeah, Ashley Footers. Yeah. We would probably need someone that has the bar experience. I've got oh, hospitality I, experience. I think Aaron CJ, can bring people in. CJ's your guy. He's got way more experience he in does. that world. He does. I'm just a hype man. Yeah. I think that's just really my role. You just hype you know? up drinking? I'm just just that and just get people excited, talk to people. I, I, I'd like to think I'm an okay networker. I, I feel like I need to be a better networker, but I love... I was having this conversation earlier this week with somebody about networking, and uh, it's actually my brother, uh, because both of us are very much like a work by referral, because that's how this community, I feel like, is best represented. Absolutely. Personal opinion. I mean, you can definitely do whatever you got to do, but... 
networking can be, I think, to a fault in this smaller ecosystem because you tend to run into the same groups of people. Absolutely. Um, so I think there's just something to be said about like impactful networking, like doing things on a service level, similar to like, uh, oh, like all the people that did Hockey Day Minnesota, like they did such an amazing job there that like that impact to me was such a great marketing event for them because they were so worthy of all the in like the interactions and the and the con the conversations and I mean from people from the Minnesota Wild all the way down to the MSU like that to me was the best form of it. But if you go, and, and this isn't to like shit on any of the smaller get togethers and gathers, like you tend to run in the same seven bankers and the same seven loan officers and the same seven people within a, a one to two time thing. Not that they, it's not great to meet those people and know those people, but it's not as impactful when they're all competing for the same business. Right. Yeah. And I think that like Mankato has such a great opportunity and they do such a good job with some of these bigger things that, I think for especially somebody like you, you are so like I, you know, I genuinely think that your marketing is some of the best in town because it it's just so genuine and you guys are funny Ooh. and you guys have this opportunity to like um, be different but yet be kind of like small town famous in right. a way. So like I just love the fact that you you think that your networking needs to be better, but it's probably <laughs> as good as anybody else's in town. Well, I, yeah. I received the compliment, and I think that's awesome, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, Wes and team at OMG really has stepped up the game for us. We actually recorded some videos this morning. Um, our goal is to, I mean, being born and raised from here just like Matt Long, um, our goal is to show people that even though we sell high-end product or nicer product, that we're, we're just normal dudes you know we're not pretentious um we just want to have a good time we're the type of people you can have an old-fashioned with or a beer with whether it's at our store mm -hmm. or whether it's around a bonfire and an event um my thing about saying i you know i need to probably network better get you know more involved sometimes like i've even said to wes is just there's only so much time in a day, but there's so many. This community is so great with as, as far as the events it puts on. I would have loved to volunteer more with Hockey Day Minnesota, and I think phenomenal. I mean, so phenomenal what they've done. We had mm -hmm. you know, Jesse Botkron not too yep. long ago, and Lindsay great Botker episode, and what by she the way. did. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I'd love to be able to get more involved in, in volunteering and, and doing those things and maybe even creating a networking group amongst us and bringing other people in the fold to push ourselves outside the boundary of the seven bankers and mm -hmm. seven loan officers, because you're right. Certain groups in certain places get kind of stale after a while. Cause you do see the same faces and I get I it. Be ranting, it, but how do, how do we get in your opinion? How do we get outside of that? How do we push the envelope to, uh, to get outside the normal circle of people that we love and trust and know to bring more into the fold because it can get kind of clicky after a while. Yeah, but I think the clicky is okay if it's quality. I mean, like that that to me is the the sacrifice not worth making. It's like if you have a quality group of people that you know that you can refer to and, right. and especially in this in this small of a town, you know, like quality gets around really quick. There's the the 10 people that you really like to send business to. Like there's nothing wrong with working with those people. And I like I'm a realtor by day. So like I know you by night. Don't don't worry about it. <laughs> He's a realtor by night. He never stops. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, it's dancer by selling night. Selling property, my friend. <laughs> um, but you know, like I know that 
everybody that I know at least knows probably five to ten realtors. Like, right. I'm not benign to the fact that if you like working with somebody else, I think that's great. I think that the biggest thing in my field specifically is that if you trust the person and you love working with that person, or at least you feel like you're getting the most out of that situation, do it. But I think the thing for marketing and like the networking side of things is like being willing to either just know that this is the group of people that you're content with quality wise and relationship wise. It's just good people. There's right. so many just good people that go to these things. So it's not, again, it's not to like shit on those, those repeating gatherings, but it's just finding the willingness to be like, are these people testing the waters enough to know that these people are in the best interest of me? And are they working to make sure that the best quality is available? Cause and this is just coming from my experience. I don't have a lot of people that I need to go to to find the right situation anymore, but I've taken a lot of wrong turns to find there that or find them there to a point where like you might find out that this person just doesn't do quality work anymore um, or that they just didn't have the best. Uh, they might have something going on in their personal life at that time that just put a bad taste in your mouth. Like I'm never trying to judge anybody based on the where their situation is at. Like, that's not my job. But I think that there's a certain level of like just understanding where your comfort level lies and if you can give somebody else that referral. Like my world revolves on referral-based marketing. That's how I operate. I would rather um, be completely predicated on the word of Aaron Jones and Wes Otto than to have uh, a flyer in the newspaper and get somebody to randomly call me. Sure. And I think that network marketing is a huge deal in this town. But I think that as long as you're finding the right networks and the right people that you trust, it, you don't need to go much further than that. Like this ecosystem that you guys are building right now is crazy awesome because like the, the people that you can get here that have the influence that they have that can talk to the people is better than going to 15 events and talking to getting cornered by the one person that you just already knew. And you like, I've caught myself doing that. Like, I sit there with a buddy of mine from high school and like catch up <laughs> as though like, but we're not even going to refer any business, but yeah. we were just both at an awkward party to feel like you're kind of wasting time after 10 minutes. Doesn't it? It's, yeah, Sometimes. It's I mean, not, I, let's be real about it. It's, I mean, it's not a beneficial situation, cool. okay, but, but we've all had those interactions for sure too. You know, like you aren't going to help me. I'm not going to help you. It's good to see you, but now we're here just burning time and I could be over there either mingling with somebody else. And that's on me for sure. Like yeah. I could easily break that off, but there's just, I think there's an opportunity it's to an, do more. It's an easy mold to fall into. I think um, one of the things that I've wanted to do, and Aaron and I both have had other discussions on, is experience-based networking. So Hockey Day Minnesota is a great one because mm -hmm. you're right. You're going out and you're doing a service. You're building something great for the community. But through that, you're also having an opportunity to network. Um, there's some ideas that we have around that that maybe we could talk about offline because it would be really cool to actually do it. But one of the things that we haven't mentioned before on the podcast that maybe some potential guests would be interested in in the future is we probably will do some sort of like one year anniversary of the Get Deep podcast and have oh, we're, like a, we're going. Yeah, we're going to have some sort it. of private get together with just the guests from the show. And it might be hosted here. It might be hosted at Chankaska. We haven't quite determined I think that it would yet. be a, a great segue into the Chankaska pitch that Aaron tends to do because I feel like that would be a great venue. So yes. I'm going to just... I love it. Please, Could is you this go where, ahead and do this, it in the microphone? Is this there? where I fill up on my ranch road, Chankaska Creek Winery? Bruce wants so to do bad. the ad. He's doing it well. Oh, Bruce, you got to get it closer to the mic. <laughs> fill her up to the top now, Bruce. There you go. 
Well, this is the perfect time to do a shout out to our fantastic spirit sponsor. That is Chankaska Creek Ranch Winery and Distillery. Nicely done. Thank you. Yeah, John Taylor, uh, you know, he swatted me pretty hard. Uh, after that rightfully so though rightfully so rightfully so i didn't miss the distillery thing as we had you know beautiful chain cask of spirits in front of us here you go wes Mm. (laughs) that's nice (laughs) that didn't make you have to pee and i don't know what will peed my pants um Yeah, Chankaska has been a sponsor, a willing sponsor, and an excited sponsor right off the bat. Um, Such a blessing to have them on board and to uh, support the Get Deep podcast. Again, our tagline is premium spirits, quality conversation. We're having those tonight with our fantastic guest here, Bruce Tanoff. And we've had many uh, great conversations with other guests. And I also like to think that when I go to Chankaskan, whether I go with my wife or other friends or other uh, business connections in the community, what I have there is quality conversations every time because the environment is fantastic. It's getting to that time of year now in late April, uh, early May here where um, it's going to get warmer. People can sit out on the patio and enjoy the Vetterstone fire pit area. There's live music that happens in the event center. Uh, Recently, not too long ago, I heard... Um, some live music there in the venue is fantastic. The acoustics are great. Um, if you want to get married there, there's options for that too. If you want to become part of the wine circle, you can do that. It's quarterly. If you want to become part of the ranch road circle, which is their bourbon and their whiskey and their gin and, and, uh, all sorts of other delicious drinks. You can also be a part of that too, called the ranch road circle, which is monthly. Wes, am I missing anything? No, you're not. You're hitting every single nail on the head outside of the pizza. I mean, Ooh. we always talk about food on this podcast, and somehow we don't have any here. But if you're ready to hang out by that bonfire and you're a little hungry because you've had maybe three or seven whiskeys, I love that pizza. It's a lot. It's fire oven Question pizza. for you guys. Yeah. With your experience with Chancaska, have you guys decided whether or not you could do a live show there? So here's the thing. Uh, actually, ironically, I'm glad you asked that. Um, I've been in email conversation back and forth and text conversation with Jane and, and Kent uh, Schwickert, and we're trying to get them on the podcast. Uh, just trying to line up dates right now because they're busy, but the goal is to probably late May as of right now, and I think what, we'll, I, what I want to do is actually probably set up out there in the event center or someplace of their choosing out in the grounds. Um, we don't have videography right now set up with this cell audio, but I think it'd still be cool to say, Hey, we're in the, we're in this area and we can talk about it. We want to talk about the, um, the speakeasy. Was it the yep. speakeasy that was there? Yeah, in the they used to have a speakeasy in the, in the old house and just talk about the property and the formation of the winery. Cause it's right. a, it's a very cool story, and I'm all about. I love the idea of doing a, a remote broadcast yeah. or a live As from well. there. Not a live, but you know, with uh, the power you know. trip kind of idea would be cool too. If yeah. you guys get enough people that are following or, or care about it, I mean, that would be kind of fun. Let's you do know, an like audience. Huh? Just do an audience based thing. Ooh, really fun. There's that Bruce. would be targeted marketing. See, where Bruce, you could really the enjoy three thoughts. So Bruce offered up that he was a hard working guy. That's the adjective he picked. And having worked with him on marketing as well, I got to say he's awful creative. Too. And that's a good flex of that creative muscle. Oh, right stop. That was really good. It was. was really good, Bruce. I can say this confidently. When I was bartending at Olives, I started really getting into the 
whiskey side of things and like learning about alcohol. I took courses intentionally to find out because I didn't want to be like anything that I try to do. I don't want to be just the schlub that can just sell something to you. I wanted to know enough to be like, oh, what does this taste like? What's the, the taste notes different? And, and I'm not like a wine connoisseur to the, to the level of, you know, sommelier or anything, but I really enjoyed learning that process, just even how things are made. So I can appreciate like this spirit is quality. There's just like you can have tons and tons of different kinds. Like during the time that I started Olives, there's probably like the biggest boom in whiskey because it was just becoming like this thing where everybody was taste testing the flights, the new breweries, the new like the microbreweries were a thing. Like, why don't you guys have this on tap? Like, I don't know because it's probably four thousand different ones that we could have on tap. We only have four. Like, yeah. get, get yeah, off yeah. of me. <laughs> um, like, we we had. Uh, organ grinder on yep. for the first year and i told like i was like carlo we gotta have mad butcher on i'm telling you right now and it hasn't left since i brought help brought bring it on and it's just it's yeah, like one of those so things popular. like this to me based on how everybody supports locally so hard in this community like i personally don't need to buy a maker's mark bottle anymore i'll tell you that right now no. when you have this in your backyard it's that like uh, well-kept secret that right. everybody should know about, but the people that only drink whiskey on the rocks or straight know about. Like, do not mix that with some 7-Up or you oh, get a sure. backhand. Right, for, yeah. From absolutely. Aaron for yeah. free. Yeah. yeah. For free! <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is we get we get a good amount with our sponsorship deal with Chain Casket, but I'm actually considering signing up for a wine membership because I really like the wine. We do get some wine with the, the sponsorship, but... Uh, maybe it's not a good thing to admit, but I like to drink, so I would like some at my house uh, beyond what we have here at the office. So, Kelsey, yeah. I'm probably going to be reaching out to you to sign up. Hi, Kelsey. Um, question for you, Bruce. Fire away. Do you think that that would taste delicious sitting in a storage unit? Um, interesting segue. <laughs> You're welcome. That was a very strange uh, way always. to do it. <laughs> the only way to manage... At a storage facility is is to have a glass of Chancasca, apparently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You painted me into a box here where I come at an alcoholic <laughs> while, I, while I manage that's, storage units. That's the whole reason why he bought storage units, was just to have individual spaces to drink. <laughs> he can check. Yeah, he doesn't even rent You guys want a speakeasy. I got a, a speak facility. There you go. I like it. Actually, that's really good. Well, that's, that's the really first good. piece of business. That's Here's the fun thing. That's could, the first piece of business. You could rent out individual little storage units. You could? Yeah. That's huh? a cool concept. And then I would need a liquor license, and then yeah, that would not go bueno. There, uh-huh. goes, there goes all your profit. Yeah. Well, the first piece of business that Bruce and I worked on together from a marketing standpoint was Cortland Minimax Storage. Yep. Ooh. So George and I, uh, so Minimax. small backtrack, but then fast forward. Um, George and I worked at um, Olives together. George was the manager, and I started bartending May of 2015. And by, I want to say... April of 2016, George and I had like really become close friends and was trying to figure out a way to get into business outside of the bartending world. George was ready to be in the next phase. And anybody that knows George is he's like a superhero when it comes to, to work. He like loves to work. And obviously I feel like I'm a hard worker. So the two of us together really felt like we could do something. So we're sitting at the bar. I'm bartending and George is managing and Monday night marketing. These older gentlemen come through every Monday night and I always pick to work Monday nights because these guys came through and Dan Robinson, who's true commercial, one of my mentors, one of my absolute 
top men in the the area for just advice and human being. Um, nothing but good things to say about him. Um, introduced me to the idea, like, well, why don't you just buy this? I'm like, I don't have money, Dan. <laughs> um, I mean, like, I, I have a small nugget of cash sitting here for, like, rainy days, but I had not really thought about it. And so George, being the number guy that he is, he looks into the, the court and the Minimax numbers, and him and I just kind of him and haw over it a little bit. And it just, like, well, cash flow makes sense. Cap rate makes sense. We got a little bit of cash. Let's talk to a bank. So we get involved and we start working through everything. And yeah, then when in April, April 17th of 20, 2016, we bought, no, April 23rd of 2016, we bought uh, Cortland Minimax storage. A year, about a year after you left Angie's and decided to step out and just about get a out year. Of that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just about a year. BG Enterprises. Enterprises. Yeah. I remember the logo. We'll pick you up. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I remember uh, the website. I remember taking your headshots. So we had an old office on 200. Uh, Off of Cherry there, Yeah, right? Second Street. Second and Cherry. Wasn't that the corner? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Yep. So that was, uh, that, those were the good old days. We had BG this old limestone Bruce George, office. Obviously. Yep. Bruce and I George know. came yeah, in. Yeah, it was super creative. Cause yeah. <laughs> you, guys, <laughs> you guys think we're creative people, but we're not. It's good. <laughs> Well, you needed the name, and you came up with it. Yeah. And sometimes you you can overthink it too well, long. It was a too. property with it. company. It's not like you were dealing yeah. on we, the brand. We knew that it was just uh, the first step and the next step. Yeah. I mean, it was never going to be this like, oh yeah, you know, well, Wall Street Fortune five hundred company. Sure. BGM is that still in your portfolio? You guys still own that? No. no. So this sold. is the fun part. Yeah. So all right. So to go through the timeline, George and I owned that, and then my brother Rob bought in with us. So the three of us were partners on it. Um, after a year, we we needed a capital injection to buy a rental property. So we bought a hockey house over in uh, St. Peter, and address to be unnamed. Some people probably know about it, but. Um, so we bought that together. That was our next cash flow property. Um, we held both of those until very recent. Last year, we sold our property over in St. Peter um, to make way. Uh, essentially, we just needed to kind of rid ourselves of that burden of time because just any rental property that you're not fully having to, you know, it's not hands off by any means, but it was just time. The market was starting to pick up, and we just knew that we were ready to move on because we weren't ready to be continuously managing it ourselves. Um, and when you have hockey players, they just tend to not care. <laughs> they have some fun. They had fun. <laughs> um, so then moving into the next year, uh, we were thinking, well, we at that in the in between there and when we sold those facilities, we bought my Mankato storage off Highway 14 here in Mankato. So we bought that in 2018, um, in August 9th of 2018, for those that are already continually following my dates. Um, so we bought that, and that was kind of like the, okay, we got we got something going on in storage. Um, the problem was was we were just too spread out. Um, you're talking about 25-minute drive round trip to drop off a key or fix a lock or um, find something for somebody that you know just wasn't worthwhile. Um, so we sold that facility just last year um, to make an opportunity. Cortland. To, Cortland, yes. To make the room for purchasing of A1 storage, which is on Stadium Road. So we 1031'd into that, and now we are in the proud ownership of two Mankato-based storage facilities. We sold our uh, hockey house in relative time to that to segue into the 
purchase of that building or that facility. So now we're just over 500 units in Mankato. Um, Storage is an interesting game. Um, There's plenty of storage unit companies out there. A lot of people do a lot of great work. I'm never going to be hating on anybody that does it, but there's just a certain level of quality and care that we try to provide. Um, We're still a business, and people need to recognize that, like, you don't pay on time. There's certain consequences in life, but we also try to be humans about things. And it is a challenging business to be in at times, but it is a really, really good investment for us, and it's kind of propelled us into a – in a good space, um, we feel like it's a great investment for our futures. And um, just having the two facilities now in Mankato has been just a – it's definitely not as sexy as the Angie story, but it definitely has its uh, financial gains. If you were to be nitty-and-gritty about the numbers, it's it's a very uh, positive cash flow business. Some of the best profits are made in some of the less attractive businesses. Usually. Right? Yeah. I mean, if you start talking about different areas of industry that you could make money in, storage units definitely don't seem glamorous, right? But no, after chatting through some of the numbers with you, I can see why it made a lot of sense. Yeah, so. and, and again, and like there's certain levels to it, of course. Like in any business, there's the management of it, there's the daily upkeep, there's the quality assurance, there's the collecting bills because you know people just have down. I mean, especially last year. I mean, not to get down that whole pathway, but it was tough. I mean, like that is the last thing that you want to pay for. Yeah when things are going to the ropes. So it, it has had its fair share of challenges, but just in general, the things take care of themselves pretty well. It's a, it's a lot better than dealing with a hockey house. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Do you own yourself and George, or you, you personally own any nope. rental properties anymore, or is it just storage facilities and then your real estate business and uh, bartending on the side and also the dancing at night at Mettler's, like you mentioned before? <laughs> yeah, I don't do that anymore, Aaron. Shut up. Oh, so no more Chippendale, uh, Bruce. No. Okay. No, 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 no. Uh, we can edit that out, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the, oh, yeah. Okay. the storage units are the focus of the investment property world. So full transparency, my, my family's involved. So it's, it's my parents and then, so Todd and Sue, Rob, George and I are okay. the partnership. Um, and we're very, very, uh, transparent about ourselves being in the, involved in that it's just a it's a good investment for everybody it has been and we're uh george is like family to us so it, it, it works out really well um and then as far as other investment properties no we we've just put our eggs in those baskets for now um it's taken a lot of effort to get to that point with all this i mean we're sure. ta- we're talking about a lot of time and effort to to be- develop that and there's a lot of people that do storage units in the area there's probably i don't know 10 12 other facilities sprinkled around so like there's a need for it all the time um the the main point for us was just to find quality locations that worked for us and, and high level so for the listeners that don't know uh based on the math of high school and college and angie's and all that how old are you bruce 32. 32 and over 500 units. Yeah, it's a start. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, and you have other uh, other endeavor, endeavors within the real estate investment space, too. I mean, you've got uh, a flip house that we've talked about that you're working on. Yeah, my fiance, Paige, who, again, will hate this, um, her and I decided to, we bought a farmhouse back in 2020 and 
like Aaron and I were talking about earlier, if you can go through construction with your spouse or spouse to be, then you're meant to be. <laughs> um, a lot of truth. So we did Put that it on together. A bumper sticker. Yeah. <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we decided to do that in 2020. Um, and we flipped our farmhouse and we love where we live and we love our house that we built. Um, basically down to the studs and rebuilt it. So it was a real project. It was a labor of love for sure. And then we were like, you know what? We were bored. (laughs) Why don't we just go ahead and flip a house? So we found a house uh, that we are working on uh, part-time right now. Um, But yeah, we're we're in the midst of that. Um, You're doing a lot of it yourself too? uh, It's it's tough um, to do it all yourself when you're the realtor. As well as, you know, trying to make sure that you're doing a high level of quality and not cutting corners in any capacity. So for me, it's uh, hiring the right people to do the work that I can't do. Um, I would love to do, you know, like at my own personal house, I can get away with doing whatever I really wanted to within the bounds of the law. And within like county requirements and everything like uh, just local government, but at the flip house and me being the the agent that is going to be essentially involved in it, I don't want there to be anyone questioning the situation. So we have hired um, a shout out to Art Elf Construction, good friends of ours. Hi Josh. Hi Josh. Um, Josh, Brian, and Tyler, they do great work. They did some work for us. Um, shout out to uh, Full Draw Electric, Chris Gappa out of Nicollet. He's a client of mine, and he's very, very talented. Um, and then we've had some of our close family friends that do work out of different areas that have come into town and done some work for us as well. So it's it's a labor of love, but it's also trying to be a very quality-oriented thing. That's kind of a moniker for me is I don't want to ever have anybody question that I wasn't putting the best effort into something. Um, and, and this isn't like some amazing, like, it's not uh, uh, the Moulin Rouge house or anything. We're not doing anything crazy. It's just a nice, smaller little home that we're trying to put some time, labor of love into and, and flip. So that's the next thing in the portfolio. It's not um, nothing to scoff at, but it's nothing to be like, my God, Aaron, you need to buy this right now, <laughs> even though you just built a new house. Well, Bruce, just talking to you and getting to know you even further, I'm sure you're going to put some awesome quality into that and time into it, and I'm sure it'll be great. I don't know your fiance page, but I'm sure she's great. I think I'm good at anything. She's She's times. awesome. She's well, the best. Behind every, what do they say, behind every uh, dude, there's a good man is a, is a great woman or something along those lines. Yeah, behind every great woman, or behind every great man, there's a greater woman. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, just ask Najwa. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I like that. Gosh, what a great episode. Najwa's so great. It's it's still, I think, to this, I mean, you're you're almost there, Bruce. Stop. But you're, you're almost there, but Najwa's probably. I'm not, not even anywhere near uh, Evan Taylor. <laughs> Evan? E.T. E. So Evan, small, small tangent, I was laughing so much in his episode because him and I went to elementary school together so we were in Evan. kindergarten to that. Yeah. yeah and the the most stark memory and i guarantee he knows <laughs> what i'm going to say when i talk about this but we were in kindergarten this is geisfeld's class and after school one day i went over to evan's house and we were going to go bullfrog hunting and we were going to go find bullfrogs at Rasmussen Woods. So we get out, you know, that, like, kids game that blows the elephants and that has, like, uh, the butterflies yeah, the, out of the elephant yeah. nose. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to go use those nets and find bullfrogs. And we're talking about two five-year-olds not knowing. <laughs> but 
best of friends in the, in the moment and we go down to Rasmussen and his mom takes us down there and we don't find a thing, but <laughs> him and I lived a couple blocks away from each other growing up. So it was just, uh, when he was talking about just the Mankato growth and being, you know, we ran in the same circles in high school knew the same people. He was a lake life kid. Uh, one of my best friends is Tommy Montag. They lived on the lake together. So, um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was just super funny. Um, Tommy was also a part of the Angie story, uh, early on story. And how long did he, Um, did he go, was he a a part of the organization for a while? I feel like, yeah, he was, uh, he met Moondogs games for a while up and yeah, he worked probably for three or four years. It was, uh, right when he moved back from, for college, um, he was gone for like a year and then he came or six months or a year and then he came back to MSU and then that's when he started working for me again. Um, yeah, there was a lot of local. I mean, a lot of guys that I, that worked with me. They were all my my friends from high school, honestly, or their brothers. So, like, I just had a really good crew of friends. So we would go from working all day to most of us lived together. So we kind of had like this like Angie's fraternity, where we'd work together, we'd go home, we'd play video games, or we'd have a couple alcoholic beverages, and then we would. Uh, go back to work in the morning like we just really we lived and breathed it. that was really what was one of the more fun things about it it was just a bunch of guys that loved to work and really had a good time doing it and then some of them had school during the, the spring and fall and and worked through the those times were just a little bit leaner but yeah it was a it was a really fun time of life honestly um and i didn't have to really be at the bar scene or doing any of that to have that same level of fun it was just a, a lot of good times with the the guys that i grew up yeah. grew up with in the area it's a cool segue from you know the high school friendships and and maintaining them professionally kind of reminds me of some of my college day stuff while you guys were chatting i was busy pulling up a photo because i wanted to show it to aaron you might not remember the night because it was your birthday <laughs> oh bruce. yes i, I do uh, but guy. i had to pull it up because bruce mentioned the house that he and Paige are currently living in yes that they remodeled and i was out there for bruce's birthday <laughs> and it happens to be not just a house but a farm yes yeah, this so looks your hat that you got on bruce is fantastic <laughs> that's my best friends uh decided it would be a good idea for me to get a, a cowboy hat so. you can just admit it's your hat that's my hat i love so it i wear it every day that it's nice out <laughs> you got a you got a four-wheeling t-shirt on it's blue yeah yeah uh, we'll get to that cargo shorts and uh fire poker he looks very happy he looks completely it's sober farmer bruce totally tober and some <laughs> awesome plants in the background and yeah i mean it, this is this is a great picture um maybe instead of uh posting a picture of all three of us after this episode we post this picture of bruce i think bruce would love that wouldn't it's you bruce? <laughs> bruce did you want to see do you know which one he's talking about and oh yeah I, I you remember that oh yeah okay <laughs> I mean, it might have been my birthday, but I, I can keep <laughs> things together. I love that it. That was good. That was a fun night. I, uh, you know, you've you've listened to a handful of episodes, so we, we end episodes with a handful of questions. Um, we're not Bruce. even close to that. Are we not close to that? No, we're not close to that. We have a lot more to go. Do you have to go? Wes. Wes and I can just Shut wrap this up. me <laughs> down on the question. No, would you, we're not even close. Would you like me to... No, uh, I, don't, I don't have to go. I, I can ask you a bunch of questions. <laughs> I mean, I do have to pee, but... You go pee. I'll ask Bruce uh, the next round. You sure about that? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go quick. Or do you? Okay. I mean, we, we, we can, can pause it. Too. We can do a pause. Here's a pause, ladies and gentlemen. So now we got some pee and some running talk out of our system. For those of you that are non-athletic mm. individuals like myself, at least yeah, not so in the sense of running. what a relief. Lighter. Thank God, we got that done. 
we had left off with Aaron trying to rush Bruce off the episode so rudely. Sorry, Bruce. I'm no, just it's, kidding. It's I fine. just needed to pee. And sometimes when duty calls these days, especially when you have children, you're just like, you got to do what Are you, you doing that do. thing where you're going to blame your kids on this? Yes. <laughs> it's about the only thing I can do now is use my kids uh, nice. for every excuse. Oh, you're a good parent. Hey, thanks, Bruce. Love it. We've got at least two topics that I know that we have to cover. One of which is that T-shirt we mentioned that Bruce was wearing uh, at, yeah. uh, at out at the farm. That was a, a four-wheeling T-shirt. Yes. So for those of you who don't know, the number one influencer in the four-wheeling space on YouTube is a man by the name of Pete Hager. Correct. And that also happens to be a best friend of Bruce and the company that does the productions and puts together all the content that leads to the YouTube influencer profile of Pete Hager. Correct. Is partially owned by one and only Bruce Tanoff. Correct. So, outside of the friend connection, which you mentioned when you were talking about the East Coast uh, travel trip that you took with Pete, tell us a little bit more about Pete Hager and everything that's going on in the four-wheeling space. So Pete and I were roommates, um, fresh out of high school, and in total, on and off for about five years, we were roommates. And this last stint that we had, Pete was working at ANG still. He was driving uh, forklift at the warehouse and was uh, just kind of getting to a point in his life where he's like, I'm kind of done with this side of my life. And um, he was living with me, and he had just gotten his 2019 Raptor 700. And for those that don't know, that is a sports four-wheeler, sportsman, four, not a sportsman. It is a sport quad is, is the proper term. And save the sport quads. Sport, save sport quads. Uh, essentially, that whole sentiment is the fact that the industry kind of took a huge dive in about the mid to the late 90s where they stopped producing on a high level. It was a super popular sport through the 80s, early 90s, and touching into the 2000s, but um, it kind of died off, and Pete is super passionate about it. And so he has been riding and putting videos out on YouTube even back in YouTube back in like 2003, 4, 5, some of them are in there. And he basically got... Uh, his new four wheeler and started taking the next step into like just GoPro and things. He's like, I, I can't find what I want to watch. Like I love four wheeling. I nobody does four wheeling on YouTube. I was like, okay, cool, man. Just do it. I I'm, I'm working in real estate at this time, just starting my career. So I have zero interest in what he's trying to do and just hoping that whatever he's doing is going to pay the rent that he owes me. <laughs> <laughs> but he takes this next step and he gets into the GoPro Hero 7 just came out. So that's the the best action sports that's ever happened, caption or capture-oriented uh, camera. And he started just filming himself and putting it online. And all of a sudden, he just takes off. And he went from having like 3,000 subscribers from his videos from way back in the day from his earlier videos to where now we are at 137,000 subscribers. Wow. Um, he is the number one influencer in the space. Um, we are working with the biggest brands in the space now, um, from the Polaris's to the Yamahas. We're starting uh, all those connections. It's been a very much a, uh, a project of love. It hasn't been super easy, but Pete kind of started in my basement, and we started it together, and just kind of he started getting these things going on, and the views started coming in. He has probably seven six or seven videos over a million to two million views 
And that was, I mean, with my entrepreneurial mindset, I was like, dude, you need to capitalize on this. This is an opportunity that nobody gets in this small of a marketplace and you have a niche. Like you have the ability to be the difference between, so there's still pro circuits that run just like, you know, uh, your typical uh, uh, motor, motocross, supercross, those types of things that they air on ESPN and stuff. That That's still a relevant thing. That, that hasn't changed. Two-wheel sports is still fairly popular. But the four-wheeler industry really took a dip, and Pete was kind of the bridging of the gap between people that really loved to do it on the weekends and those that were still in the professional field. And Pete has more subscribers than some of the best in the professional field. Um, because he, he kind of has that ability to segue for, between like, hey, this is a passion that everybody can share in a super, and Pete, when you watch his videos, uh, it's Pete Hager on YouTube, P-E-T-E-H-A-G-E-R. And he is very optimistic, positive, uh, no cursing, very kid oriented. There's a lot of kids that love the sport. So like the big influence is like the dads that love to do it, that don't do it as much anymore. And now their kids have an outlet to watch it because YouTube's that segue for them. And so we've just started to, to develop this whole platform essentially, uh, between the 40,000 Instagram subscribers that we have, uh, or Instagram followers that we have. And, uh, we, Develop this business model, and it's kind of a work in progress. Just like I'm sure your your podcast is, is we we don't really know exactly what we're doing. We're trying to just figure it out as we go. And um, so we have we we started that back in uh, 2020. Essentially, is when well 20, 2019 is when we started the company, but 2020 is when we really started developing the business side of things. Um, and it's not an easy business to go into unless you de- dedicate your whole life to it. And Pete has gone with the basically the YouTube ad rev that has kind of generated enough capital for him to do this daily. We uh, brought my brother Connor in. Um, Connor is our main manager of pretty much all things on the website. So we have a website, uh, PeteHager.com, that sells parts. So we are one of the main parts suppliers in that influencer space. Mm. So there's big, like, there's big part stores, uh, Rocky Mountain, um, and then there's like, uh, there's a couple other guys that, that do um, part sales. Ours is based on, we like you guys had talked about earlier, we don't support things that we aren't using. We don't support things that aren't beneficial to what we feel is like the highest of quality. So Pete takes on the mindset of like, I'm going to give... I'm going to give folks the opportunity to realize what these parts are, what they do, um, how they can best improve safety. Um, and that's one of his biggest messages is like, if you want to ride on the weekends, that's great, but you need to be physically active enough to feel like you're comfortable on your, your quad. You need to be wearing the right gear. He never not wears a helmet. Like that's like a huge thing in the industry that enough people don't wear helmets. And that's something that he's gotten a lot of props from these bigger companies like we kind of want to support you because you take the safety aspect of it so ultimately he's been in a in a position to help influence in a branding oriented space people to kind of facilitate to our website purchase the parts as well as support the channel based on the content that he provides and, and we're growing at a pretty good rate we we've we've stagnated out a little bit but that's been based on kind of the smaller um growth pattern since COVID stopped in a lot of ways because people were watching a lot more and not doing a lot. So it's been more of a, how do we continue that growth pattern? And I mean, I'm sure. 
Well, and even since COVID, I mean, during the thick of COVID, you were at like 100,000 subscribers. So the fact that you're at 137, is that what you said? I mean, 37,000 subscribers, that's not necessarily stagnant. You guys are still doing really well, is my point, I guess. Yeah, we're growing. And and, and a lot of it is very much like this podcast, grassroots. We're not going for the Ridge Wallet. We're not going for the game. We're not going for the random person that's going to give us money to do it. It's got to be something we believe in. Um, So we only really focus on what is beneficial uh, to our brand. Well, and from a content strategy standpoint, um, I think most of the videos sat around the 20 minute mark, uh, especially early on, but then Pete started to experiment a little bit and did some hour long, like here's me on this extended trip type of content and amazingly, you know, I think for anyone that's in the content creation space, it's interesting to think about what type of content does well. Amazingly, some of that content did extremely well and was pretty profitable yes. for you guys from an ad revenue standpoint. So interesting. interestingly enough, YouTube is a very calculated space. And people that just casually browse it, sure, whatever. You, you, you see the ads that come up, you skip them, whatever. But the way that it typically works in the CRM, which is your your essentially your rate of, of uh, income per view, um, is calculated on a content-oriented base that allows you to have influential content, whether it's a four-minute video to an hour-long video, and you can set the bar for how many videos ha- or how many ads per video. Well, if you hit an eight-minute mark minimum, typically you have an increase in uh, the ad share. So the longer that your videos are and the more length of time that people watch your videos, it allows you more CRM per video. So Pete started, um, to backtrack a little bit, we we started going outside of the Minnesota area and we started traveling from Michigan. We went to, and when I say we, I'm just meaning Pete and Connor. They traveled to uh, Oklahoma. They went to uh, Indiana. They have been out to California. Glamis is one of the biggest uh, parks in the entire United States, and Glamis is massive in Southern California. They went to Yuma, Arizona. Um, so they've traveled all over the U.S. doing this, and they've created quite the following period. But that larger form content was because of that, because they were trying to share the entire experience and give people the opportunity to see like what really goes into from start to finish the drive, the time, mm-hmm. the commitment to the to the actual execution of it. But people would always be like, why does it take you forever to produce a video? And he's taking 12, 15 hours of content and consuming it and then trying to to bring it down to an hour. So while it's not the most like exciting to anybody, it is a very much a niche. Like he will get anywhere from 10 to 25,000 views within the first like two days, two to three days. Wow. So it's just, a, it's a very, it, it was never anything that I ever anticipated myself being involved in, but because I saw the business potential and like, again, going back to the Dan and Angie thing, I wanted to bring my friends along with me, and, and that was the, the way I could see myself helping one of my best friends and my brother get into a position to move into a new space and, and grow a business. And, and it, it, it has been a challenge, don't get me wrong. Working with family and friends is always hard, but it's also the most rewarding because you create an opportunity for somebody that you love to be in a space that's completely independent uh, from needing to go to nine to five. The freedom. I mean, that's that's what we're all driving towards. I think it's so cool because you guys have found multiple ways to monetize in a way that doesn't 
degrade the content creation, which I, not to rehash this, but similar to what we look at doing with the podcast, we don't want to annoy people, right? So you guys have the ad revenue from YouTube. Yep. You have the commission or percentage of uh, margin on sales sales yep. Yep, yep. for the the parts and things that you sell through the store but then you also have the merch you have merchandise because you actually have such a decent and solid following yep. as a brand that not only are you able to sell merchandise to that fan base but when pete goes places and does meetup events and yep. announces them publicly in advance i wasn't there like 50 or even more people that showed up to some of these different yeah. meetups. I mean, that's pretty crazy to think about, you know, you're kind of celebrity-like. It's not just social media influencer, because I think a lot of people think of, oh, this is this influencer on Instagram or whatever, and they've got all these people that comment on their videos and whatever, but that's the end of it. But when you take it to the real-life perspective yep. and people are willing to travel from across the country to come and see you at a specific trail, mountain, whatever it is that he's riding on, that's really cool. Yeah, um, it's in a lot of ways kind of like Jay Long says the the lifestyle. It's a very much a lifestyle choice that these guys make to have this hobby, and so it's kind of unique in the in the aspect that they they make their weekends about it. It's like camping. It's like going to a amusement park for them, but they get to go ride their machine. Like for me. I'm just this kid that likes ball sports, so basketball, football, like baseball, whatever. Like, I'll, that's that's what I consume. But like these guys, when they're not riding, they're watching riding. When they're not riding and watching riding, they're watching tinkering videos about how to improve <laughs> their machines and how to like. So now that's the next space that Pete's kind of getting into is like he's a, he calls himself a junior wrencher. He doesn't know anything about like fixing motors and doing all that, but he wants to try to provide uh, you know beneficial content to like the the average Joe that isn't the professional that doesn't get the the sponsorships to be like, hey, you can do this too. And that's kind of the next kind of cool portion of it is like it's a beneficial scenario for the people that are involved in the community. And this community is something that I never knew existed. And I'm sure in all of our lives, there's a community, whether it's the whiskey drinkers of the world right. or the, the athletic clothing wearers of the world that really like get down into the fashion of it or the people that really just enjoy like basketball like I do. Like there's niches that you just don't understand exist unless you give a crap about that that section of the world. And that's been something really cool to see develop is because Pete is so passionate. When you watch his videos, I always recommend people go watch his ice riding video. That was the one that popped off to like three and a half million views. And OMG was a big part of our brand build. They helped us with our logo. My cousin Mike worked with, with Wes. He designed their whole Shout branding. out to Mike because Mike really did most of it. I was very hands-off and Mike Sargent really did a nice job with yeah. that logo and with some of the t-shirts and other merchandise. Mike's been our main mainstay for all that. And then to like do the drone photography and the work that goes into all that, it, it's it's been a very humbling experience to see something that you just don't really even think about go in a completely different direction. And it's a true testament. Anybody that does this kind of content, any kind of content creation, they need to deserve they they deserve to have the respect that this takes a lot. This is a lifestyle. Like Pete collects hours of content and then spends twice the hours editing the content and then twice those hours editing it again and then editing it again to produce a content worthy of brands that are internationally known like we have followers that are in saudi arabia we have followers in australia we have followers all over the globe that like love this content to a point where they, they comment on every video i mean like i'm just not even sure 
anything about nearly the the machine mechanics or any of the like what it takes to ride and connor never rode a four-wheeler in his life till he started hanging out with pete that's what i was going to ask you too bruce and i apologize to interrupt you but like i kept thinking for the last five minutes how often do you ride and how much are you into this uh four wheel I, I call it four-wheeling but what is the actual term of the the units that so they're, they're running. They're they're they're, they're four wheelers. Some people call them bikes. The they're four they're, they're quads. To to me, they're they're a quad because there's four wheels. Four people. Four four wheels. Or okay, four wheels. Four wheels. Okay. Um, I don't ride at all. I don't have a single four wheeler. I don't. I'm not, I don't. So really you don't ride at all, even on random weekends in the summer. Nothing. You don't ride at all. Serial entrepreneur, folks. Correct. <laughs> so you, you're you're behind the scenes. You're yes. an investor in the business. I'm an investor and I'm a business manager for the okay. for the company. Okay. So I handle the finances and the and the growth side of things as, as well as Connor does. But Connor is also a capture, and he goes on these trips. Does it freak you out a little bit? Is that why you don't ride as much or as much into it? Because I mean, it's obviously dangerous, and people die every year riding. Sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times, there's uh, people that obviously get hurt because there's intoxication and in, in different situations or whatnot but or just inexperience or inexperience or or know. there's there's so many people at these places that it takes one person not paying attention sure you know it's, it's definitely not like the the simple sport to do um i'm not afraid of it in any way i mean in all honesty i just don't have time sure. I, like, I, okay. I i'm doing too many things in my other ventures and like we kind of alluded to the hobby farm that I have, the the flipping of the house, the the real estate, um, the storage units. So, like to me, this is the best that I can provide to my loved ones to have this opportunity is to give my best in that in what I'm good enough at. Sure. But yeah, Connor had to pick it up. Like he is wanted. Connor, your younger brother, or younger older brother? Brother. younger. Okay. I'm, I'm the oldest. So Rob, oh, that's right. That's right. Well, well Rob, Rob, for many people, is the older brother because he's so mature. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, sure. he really fucking is. He's so mature. Yeah, it's kind of like he's like eighty-two years old. <laughs> yeah, I love that about him. Uh, yeah, eighty-two years. How many kids does Rob have? Just one. Just yeah, one. just okay. Nora. Um, so that that side of it is like a little bit kind of concerning. I mean, but you see Connor on a quad, and it's kind of funny because Connor's like six five. So he's just a giant on these small machines. You're all such good dudes. The Tanoffs are just good people. I love all your brothers. Well, yeah, testament to Todd and Sue again. They raise good kids. Um, but yeah, the, the whole the whole community aspect, similar to what you guys are trying to grow here, is just a platform for people to feel comfortable expressing themselves in the in the industry or the sport or the way that they enjoy the most and that's i think the the coolest thing about being a part of something like that in the modern world is that like connor went through i think at one point in time two uh, last year or two years ago and we had influenced over 170 people to buy four-wheelers we didn't get a single commission cut of that which is not the not the point but it's just cool that we can help grow the community yeah. to a position that like you're talking about kids that love it enough but they had to find a person like Paige's cousins watch pete <laughs> and That's pete awesome. is pg content like he doesn't swear he doesn't have any negative things it's always safety first it's well, always really quality yeah and, and, and it's something that the, the parents are comment on hey thanks for putting some stuff on that i can actually throw on for my kids that they can watch and that's the best part about the hour-long content is is not that this is necessarily a great parenting style but there's a lot of parents that say hey i need to distract my kid for a while i'm going to put an ipad in front of them with some youtube right and that's one of the cool things about 
Pete's content is it is PG. It is safe. He's really emphasis on that safety aspect, but it's also entertaining. So it's a perfect like handoff to a kid to say, hey, just watch this guy do some cool stuff on four wheelers. For those who uh, who are listening again, um, tell them where they can find Pete's um, content on sure. YouTube or website or anything like that. So shout out again. Yeah, Bruce. it's it's on YouTube. It's Pete Hager. Um, it's the first one that'll come up on the population. H A G E R. Uh, yes. Okay. And then uh, for the website, it's Pete All one word. P E T E H A G E R. Dot com. Um, again, any support from no, we've never really. Similar to you guys, we don't we're organic. We're not we're not going out and boosting ads. We're not doing any of that stuff. So it's all based on people that care, um, and that's the really cool part about having about one hundred and thirty seven thousand subscribers. Is it's all people that care. And you're not going to get everybody to watch every video, but the fact that every video that comes out can get almost thirty to forty thousand people that care. That's I always huge. I always coach Pete on it because Pete's like in a way self deprecating sometimes about like you know I'm not I'm not that big of a deal. I'm not whatever. I'm like dude. You literally fill the concert venue every time that you want to produce a video. That's pretty impressive. And you have the ability to tell somebody, if you get one person out of 40,000 to go to our website and to buy a part, like my phone will blow up every day with people buying parts from our store. And it's, the, it's really cool. And we only have a small margin. It's not like we're making hundreds of thousands of dollars on this stuff. We're just making a small portion to really fund the overall mission, which is to bring this whole sport back, which is what... what really is the whole mission because without a, a person like Pete, this this sport would probably be dead. Really, it would be because there's like side-by-sides took over. Everybody can ride, drive a side-by-side. It has a steering wheel. It has four wheels and a gas pedal. This takes some skill. You have a manual transmission. You're using, for the most part, there's some sport sport quads and then there's sportsmen sportsmen are automatic so they actually just have a thumb throttle that you anybody joe schmo can put it into gear and and throttle it the sport quad side of things is the race oriented side of things so it's it's it has a clutch and it has it has gears and then you're you're actually utilizing the skill of driving and and really using trails that are man-made which is another big thing that these guys do is like it's a passion similar to like the mountain bike park that are yeah. over in Kiwanis all the guys that have spent decades worth of skill trying to develop over the Mount Cato and and all the St. Peter has one too it, it, it's time and effort that they're rewarded by basically having somebody like Pete in a way kind of promote this sport so it continues to have a, an avenue and then there's other YouTube channels now that have started to pop up all over I mean, um, by the time this airs, Pete will be back from Oregon. He's getting invited to Yamaha special event where they have invited him specifically to come out and help them test ride and do some different things. They sent us a Polaris sportsman um, for us from Polaris, no charge, to loan for an extended period of time to test and drive. So he is involved in some of the upper echelon side of things now that really took a long time for us to develop. We've been doing this for three, almost four years now. Um, and it's just kind of a, it's a random thing that just kind of worked out. And it, it, it really came down to hard work. Yeah. Pete's dedicated to it. He's a nerd. And I mean that in the best sense of the word super nerd super nerd i i think at your own birthday party i spent over an hour talking about the audience yes and the level of care that he puts into the video editing and we don't need to get down that road but no, we'll be here till two right but it's <laughs> it's just very cool so 
again, PeteHager.com if you want to go in and look at anything that they got going on. Also, support YouTube local. I mean, it's really, I mean, not to yeah. cut you off, us, but like in, in so much of what we do in this town is support our local people. And nobody knows about Pete unless you're in this industry. And I know he's going to be super embarrassed about me even talking about it. But like, this is a guy of any kind of story you could run, like just a guy in his garage trying to make something happen. And it's, it's an Angie story. He worked at Angie's with me. He knows what it takes. He's got the same mentality. And it's just really cool to see somebody that puts so much passion into something be successful. And it's just not, a, it's a rare thing. It's not a common piece of, of personality to actually do that. Speaking of someone that puts that kind of passion into their work, let me tell you about the time that I hired Bruce Tanoff to help me buy my first house. Oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> Segway. Yes. I like this segue. I can't remember the exact address. Let's talk address. about Bruce, baby. Let's talk about you and me. I looked Let's at this tiny house. It was owned by Dan Sprague at the time. It had a hey, rental license. Tiny, Dan tiny, tiny house. Sprague. There wasn't even enough room really for a couch in the living room. And I wasn't super interested in it for myself. It was close to Zan's. Mexican restaurant for those that don't know. That's right. Your mom uh, even ventured down to the basement oh, for yeah. that one. Yeah, that was fun. So took a look at that house and here's what I'll say. I I know a lot of realtors because of the industry that I'm in. Everyone's looking to market, right? Um, have worked with a number of realtors from a marketing standpoint. But when it came to selecting who I wanted to work with, of course, I'm going to go based on relationship and knowing Bruce since high school, that was an easy decision for me. But it became even easier when I went to look at this tiny house because bruce bruce walks in and we're just talking about the basics we're looking at some of the basic details and all of a sudden bruce jumps down on his hands and knees starts opening up cupboards and testing the plumbing on the sink in the kitchen and talking about some of the enhancements that they made to the cabinetry and just all of the details and i was like my mom and I and my dad, my dad was there too, we all just kind of looked at him like, did he just get down on his hands and knees and start crawling around on the floor? <laughs> yep. We were so amazed with that because it, most realtors that we've had experience working with through other transactions or family situations we've been in don't, I mean, they barely walk in and, and tell you about the place. They're like, yeah. Let me know if you have any questions, right? And Bruce is just bringing it with an extra level of care. And I, I tee you off with that to talk about your career in real estate. And I know that it's more than just the residential side. I'd like to talk about the commercial side too. But um, you jumped in with George Massad. It was originally True Real Estate. Eventually, yep. you guys went on and launched your own thing with Massad Real Estate. I, I think it might be good to touch on the true side, but eventually sure. really get to that that. Uh, you know, on your own piece of what you guys have accomplished so far. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I can even attest to like Aaron. You just bought a house. You've bought a I house did. before, and you probably trust your realtor with the biggest transaction of your life. And to me, kind of reiterating what I said before, if you believe in that person to have the best interest for you. I don't care if you work with me as long as you feel like you're getting the best benefit of your realtor. I, I would love to work with anybody out there that would want to work with me because of my level of effort and my knowledge and expertise. But to me, it's just, again, the theme for this seems to be quality. There's a certain level of quality, and that can come in experience, that can come in effort, that can come with uh, a, a 
just a general care overall, like just being communicative and like talking and making sure that whatever you need is, is actually taken care of. Um, but ultimately I, I really feel like there's just a certain level of wanting to do more for your co customer and just having the ability to feel like you as the, as the client has the best interest of you being taken care of. And that's what I try to provide. And, and and I'm not the best realtor in the history of realtors. I'm never going to be the pish person. Posh. <laughs> pish posh, pish posh. I don't, I don't, I don't think that there is one way to do real estate. I don't think that there is a um, level of excellence that outdoes uh, outdoes somebody else's. But I do, I do think that there is a level of effort that do, outdoes somebody else's. What is your um, mantra or process when you think about it. I mean, like, I think we've already kind of caught the, the, the idea that, um, quality, the quality is good. The client comes first, all those things, but, um, going into a situation, every house you enter the thought process, what's in Bruce's mind when you enter through a front door of a first time property that whether you've, um, you know, I know a lot of realtors, Go look through properties, you know, get an idea of it before you show it to your clients. In this market, you don't have a lot of time to do that. Things are moving super, super fucking quick, right? Yeah. But regardless, whether you've looked at it previously or you don't, you haven't looked at it previously, you walk through that front entrance, that threshold, what is your mindset with your clients behind you? Um, two, two really big things is, is trying to take the time ahead of schedule to do the research as much as you can gather, whether it's finding out if the property is rental eligible or if it's finding out what the previous sale history is, as well as like the MLL, MLS information, and then reaching out to the listing agent and saying, hey, what, what do I need to know? Because to me, the relationship between you and the listing agent is just as important as the relationship that you have with the house because they're the one that are really conveying your messaging to the, to the sellers. We are the conduit to the conversation. So if you can have a great relationship with the other realtors, is which I always try to have the best, because I got to work with you on this property, the next property, and then the following. So to me, that's a big step in the process. Some houses you know is not right for your client, but you got to do the same level regardless of the property. Because if you don't, and that client just so happens to love it, you need to be ready for that. So before I even enter it, I want to have as much tools available to at least either answer the questions or honestly say, I'll follow up and get those answers for you. Whether it's disclosure items or it's tax items or the assessment that's involved or whatever. I need to make sure that I have those answers. And I know you guys had Jason and Shannon Beal on and you know, vets of the industry, fantastic at what they do. Um, there's, there's the same level of quality that they're going to try to give their clients. I want to make sure that I'm on that par because I don't want them to feel like my, them being my clients to feel like they could have gone with somebody else. Well, and I'll, I'll pause right there just to say there's, and I'm not knocking anyone, but there are realtors that are, 
hobbyists or that's a part-time gig. And then there are realtors that are in it as more of a profession. That's what they're doing. That's their more than just nine to five given the role, right? They're There's no such thing as nine to five exactly. realtors. There's exactly. no such thing. They're legitimately spending the time. They're not doing one or two deals a year. They're doing 20 plus deals a year. And that's the level that you're at. And I think certainly you can get the job done with a realtor that's doing less volume than that or less engaged. But I personally, I would prefer to work with someone that is taking that career path with a, a full heart and a full, you know, intention of, of doing it seriously, because I just know that you've got a little bit more in your toolbox to be able to work with. Yeah. I, it, and this is, this goes out to all the realtors that do listen and follow your podcast. I know that there's a lot of good, there's most realtors are amazing at what they do. Um, there's a certain level of care that you have to give to make this your career because it goes beyond the nine to five. I'm sure when you experience this with your first purchase, you're obviously working with me. So this is, a, I mean, we obviously know what we had to do to get the properties that we got, but like there's a certain care that has to come with it where every client is the only client. And that piece of it is the hardest thing for a new realtor as I was just a short four years ago. Like, I wanted to be everything for everybody, but you don't have the experience. And experience is great. But there's certain levels that even as a young agent, I was able to, to overcome because I was able to give that level of try hard. I mean, I really just tried hard. I tried to get out in front of it with knowledge. I tried to get in front of it with the, the background story of the house. I wanted to know what was going on. I talked to my other agents that had experience, like, hey, how would you approach this? And I've even called other agents in this town to ask for guidance. And, like, I don't have any animosity. I, I, I'm very much a team player when it comes to the realtor space because I feel like we all have to be better in order for a better condition for the, the market and there's going to be like you were saying kind of those people that are hobbyists or do it because it's like a fast buck mm -hmm. and that's fine but they're not going to last and they do detrimentally to the name of the realtor they don't last long but it is something that we have to then repair as professionals and for those that do that you know, I understand that you're trying to get into it and you're trying to do your best considering. But ultimately, the professionals that have been doing it for whether it's two years or 20 years, it it matters that you're trying to enhance the, the actual realtor brand. And to me, the before even to kind of back to your original question, like before I even go into the property, that's what I do. But then when I am in the property, I'm trying to point out everything. I want them to feel like they're a part of the actual process to a point where the, you're seeing that this, this floor has some wave to it. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to educate you. Like the biggest part of my job, in my opinion, is education. Because as a homeowner since 20 years old, I feel like I know enough about a house to be like, this is off. This doesn't look right. As well as relying on the information that I've gathered from other realtors uh, and my experiences like, this property has great bones. This has some small flaws. This has big electrical problems. This has a plumbing issue. This has things that you need to be aware of. I'm not an inspector, but I, I know enough to know 
what an inspector is going to find. Do you, do you find that people are, um, I, I appreciate that the education, I love the education portion of it and, and whatnot. And I've had experience in the past with, uh, other realtors to be honest, and I won't name names, but Please don't. It, it's, it's very, um, it's very fast. It's very, um, this, that, and the other thing. And you know, it's not educational. I like the education because like you said, it's the biggest purchase of most people's lives. And, um, I think it's, I think it's great to have somebody, <laughs> they don't always have to get down on hands, hands and knees and look under cupboards. Like Wes was talking about his experience with yourself, which I think is amazing, but kudos to you and the fact that you do that and that you are, you know, opening doors literally to find things that are possible weaknesses to the biggest purchase of people's lives. Sure. But, um, um, Where's my original question going, Wes? I'm not sure, but I got one. Okay, you go. I'll just tell a, another quick story on the investment <laughs> or on the on the house side. This is why we go well together. <laughs> yeah, this is great, especially this time of the night. Yeah, this is wonderful. well, we've been going along for a while, so I appreciate anyone like that's it. listening I, I, along. But uh, what I was going to say is, is that when it came to the house that I eventually purchased, it was a fun story because we looked at another investment style property. It was a duplex in the morning. And there was other investors that were lined up behind us. And I was kind of waffling on whether or not I wanted to make an offer. And Bruce was telling me what the numbers would mean if I wanted to potentially buy it. I was going to have to come in over asking. And I just wasn't sure. And I sit down at my desk right there. And it was um, like October 30th, I think, mm -hmm. of 2020. And I sit down at my desk and I open up my email and Zillow had within minutes sent me an email that 206 Floral Avenue just hit the market. And I open it up and there's this beautiful house. And I, I instantly am like, this this is great. Let me call the city. Because a big thing for me was rental license. Called the city, realized rental license was available. Fast forward, reach out to Bruce, who we had just looked at a house together and said, hey, buddy, I'm sorry. Can we go look at another one? And you had other showings with other clients scheduled. So George ended up taking me. But long story short, we toured it. I loved it. You and George both consulted me on it. We ended up making um, a second showing on the 31st because the market is just as hot then as it is now, maybe even hotter now. But uh, we, we made a second showing on the 31st, and the showing was an extended showing, two hours, so that we could do a, a home inspection, right, and mm -hmm. take a look at the property in a deeper way so that I could waive my contingency of home inspection. Then we put in an escalator clause. Then we knew based on the fact that another realtor was offering because both Bruce and George know other realtors in the space, we were going to have to cover the closing costs if we wanted it. So because of their experience as realtors and because they've been in the, the industry for so long, they were able to look at the whole situation and say, you're not going to want contingencies, so let's get this done because you still want the inspection. Let's offer you know, something in this range. And, uh, we know that someone else is going to use this trick of covering closing costs. So because of that, let's make sure that you cover that base as well. And all of that happened on, we toured on the 30th, did the home inspection on the 31st, wrote an offer that day. And then on November 2nd, which was my birthday, I get the call from Bruce. Hey, you got the house. Bazinga. And that was probably way too much information for a lot of people, but it shows the process and the level of knowledge that goes into a single transaction to make it happen. And right after having toured a separate property earlier that morning. I'm just glad you disclosed that and not me. 
<laughs> Sounds better coming from the other other end, right? Well, but but that's that's part of it, though, and, and it's amazing. And I know you're going to be humble about it, so I'm just going to tell you right now, like that's awesome. Thank and you. the the story of Wes sharing that is what it's all about, and um, the service and the the ability to be available and the the willingness to educate and knowing just about the property and the education between you and George, that that's fantastic. And that, that's something that you guys, um, Hey, I should, I could say I'm, I'm proud of you for that. I think that's cool, but you should be proud of yourselves because it's more important than me being proud of you or Wes being proud of you, you and George and what you guys have done and and the experience that you've created should be fucking proud of yourself. Well, thank you. I hope you, I hope you receive that. We're, we're proud. I received, I receive your, your prideful, Thank you very much. Yes, this our motion is very interesting. <laughs> but a lot of that has to do with the fact that, like, for those that have never worked with George and I, and this is a small pat on the back for us, is that him and I do very much the exact same thing. Whenever George needs a cover or I need a cover, we got each other, and we there's never a skip of a beat. Like, whether it's a... $100,000 property or a million dollar property that we're showing, there's the level of excellence that goes with it. Because to me, that's where the difference is made. You can have your focus be on the commission. And that is always going to turn into a me situation. Whereas if you have it on the client in the best interest of them, which any solid realtor is going to back me up on this, I would hope is that when you focus on the commission, you tend to have a different perspective on the outcome. And you force your hand to be played towards your benefit, not your client's. And when you do your client right, you're going to get that commission tenfold. Because Wes will now refer somebody to me. And when they when they can feel that warm introduction to the fact that, no, you need to work with this person, that to me is the ultimate goal referral base again marketing it's super important for all of us in the real estate space especially with how hyper it is right now to focus on what's the best benefit for the client because when you get into a space where this this competitive and anything goes you need to make sure that your morals in some capacity are still intact because you're still advising the individual on the best benefit for their out, outcome and to me, there's just a hard line between taking advantage of a situation to make money and doing what's right by the person to make them the best financial decision. We are in a very microscopic situation where people look at us with like, we're just money grubbers. We're just out here to make money. We're just here to make transactions. And that to me is the thing that a lot of us realtors are trying to dispel so hard is that we're out here trying to do right by the client and sometimes the client just has a negative impact on the situation that's completely out of our control whether the seller is being unreasonable or the seller just takes an offer that's completely arbitrarily beneficial to them we still need to do what's right by our client and that's what gets us the, the quality referral the quality and result and there's great realtors in this town there's great people in this industry there's great lenders there's great people that are out there for the best benefit of everybody else other than themselves the hard part to me at this stage in my career which is pretty 
young in comparison to some of the, the vets in the industry is that you need to still focus on client first only. And if, if you do that, you'll be successful regardless if you're a one year or a 10 year. It's just, it's just so much more about that end result. And if you can do that, you'll find success. I think that's a fantastic point of view for every business. And I think that a lot of businesses fail at that. And I think a lot of businesses that fail at that are the ones who are failing. Um, I remember my grandmother, her name was Fama, Fama Jones. I remember you saying Fama yes, Jones before uh, on this podcast, for yeah, sure. Yeah, my daughter, Stella Faye Jones. That's the reason Love why she that has name. that middle name. Thank you. And my grandma, Fama, sold real estate uh, many, many moons ago. She is now deceased, but... Um, to Fama. Yeah, to Fama. Cheers. We haven't had cheers in a while. And my grandfather was a sales uh, a salesman for IDS, which is now American Express. And my grandmother, though, also um, ended up in the real estate business and, and did some other things, too. But she, I remember her, uh, she was my favorite person, honestly. Still is to this day my favorite person. And I remember her saying, when you look at people, you look at clients like dollar signs, you lose. Yes. And she said, Preach. Don't look at people like dollar signs look at people as friends and family and take care of them and the rest will always take care of itself the rest will always come and you know money will always come from that situation if if you don't look at them like that and when she told me that many moons ago you know i'm 36 years old and i want to say in probably my early to mid 20s when i had one of those sit down lunch conversations with fema didn't make a lot of sense to me now makes complete complete sense because it is true it is true the fact of the matter is is you're taking care of the people that uh you're taking care of your clients and you're giving them a great experience and they will refer you to other people and say we felt comfortable and in that whole line happens we bruce was great we felt comfortable with bruce he educated us on this property this that or the other thing and it's such a it's such a great lesson, and I hope that people truly like take that in what you mm-hmm. what you said and kind of what I'm spreading out here. But um, I also hope that my kids will take that in too. That be real. They will because be of who you are, though. I that, hope so. That that's the, the that's something that I don't think that enough people give themselves credit for is like you are the ability to tell the next generation of people how things should be done and and whether or not that's by proxy or it's by actual influence, like not to go back to like the whole Pete thing, but like Pete's influence on like the safety focus side of things. Kids are more focused on safety now than if it was cool to not wear a helmet, you know, right. or for you, like you might be able to tell your kid that this is how you should really treat people. That's, that's the impact that we need. And that's so much more impactful on a person-to-person level, when you treat your kids with respect and you treat your opportunity with respect because that opportunity now devotes itself to the respect that you're giving it. And I, I just don't... I see it a lot. And I don't think... I think that we're in a, a society that like doesn't necessarily recognize it all the time. But I feel like we're in a position to realize that there's a lot of respect being given that we just don't give kudos to. Uh, maybe the last topic that I'll bring up, uh, and we don't have to go super deep on it because I think it'll end up being a second episode, honestly. 
uh, is just the commercial side because sure. you do quite a bit on the residential side. You do maybe a little more quietly on the commercial side. We've already gone probably much longer than we should. Uh, so I know impending, we're looking to launch a brand. And by the time that this podcast will have launched, sure. that brand will probably have launched. Yeah. Um, this town has a lot of great commercial realtors. Like, I mean, from the Fisher Group, who is the epitome of success in this town, um, to the Jim Halbers with uh, KW and the uh, Borgs Homes, Charlie Freitag and Scott Borgmeyer doing their thing in the commercial space. Uh, there's John Keats here with Century 21. There's a lot of great commercial realtors in this town. Uh, all of them have to fight the stigma of commercial realtors being in this like slimy space. And I just do not, I do not condone that opinion of other people because I work with those folks, uh, whether it's um, on a lease or on a sale, these people are still out for their clients' best interest too. Um, the assumption that it's all up for the cash grab and it's just for the money bag, it's, it's just BS. And I, I really don't, I don't like that. Uh, I'm wanting to get into the commercial space to continue to enhance that. There's, uh, I'm sure I'm missing somebody that's in the realtor space that has, um, the commercial background as well. But like, ultimately there's, there's really good people trying to enhance their business. Fisher Group was an integral in the Hockey Day in Minnesota. Hockey Day Minnesota would not have been what it was without them. And so many of those folks are your brethren in this community. So to me, they're not trying to do anything but enhance it. And that's, that's to me what the, the commercial space is all about, is growing the community, whether it's this Mankato community, North Mankato, Cortland, uh, Southern, Minnesota. Southern Minnesota in general. All the way up to the cities, like we have involvement in people that come down to our town to try to enhance the business space because they want to come into our ecosystem. Big part of economic development. And so to me, being in that space is the next step for me enhancing the community. And I'm not the end all be all by any means in the in the commercial space. I'm really just trying to get into it to be uh, a part of the enhancement. And I think that there's a lot to learn from everybody that's already been doing it. Um Mankato is just the the best breeding ground that I've ever been a part of, and I've been a very a part of very few of the the commercial growth status of this area. But I, I feel like the ones that I have been have been very beneficial, my own business transactions as well as others. And I just think that that, that that's why I really want to be in this space. And yeah, Masai Commercial is coming. Um, we're excited about it. Um, George and myself have been really just quietly trying to bring the space into our own avenue because we know the quality that we can provide. And the other companies, there's just too many people coming to town to, to service everybody properly. And there's nothing wrong with the fact that there's a bunch of us doing it. It's just better quality breeds better quality. And so we are just trying to add that value to, to our, our clients. Love it. I think that's a perfect way to summarize the commercial side. Aaron, do you still want to hit the fast five, or should we call it a night? Uh, I want to know what you just X'd out and said Bruce can't look at. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me go ahead and grab my little paper here, uh, Brucey. So let's go ahead and turn that over. So uh, every episode we like to end, well, I like to end, I, I should say, with uh, some questions. 
and see where they go. So we call it sometimes the Fast Five. We've called it the Fast Five in the, in the past. I've called it the Fast Three. Um, it's not always five or three. Sometimes it's just a question. So uh, the first thing that I would say is you are obviously, I think you're an inspiring person. I think Wes would agree with that. You're an inspiring person. I think you have a Thank lot of you. wisdom um, that was instilled with you, you know, uh, instilled to you from your father and other people you've, you've worked with. But is there a favorite athlete or celebrity that you truly look up to or somebody in general that you're like, they're my person, if you had to narrow it down to one? And why? Hmm. I don't love celebrities. Um, athlete? Well, athlete, athletes are superficial in a lot of ways, but okay. I can appreciate the, the dedication and hard work. I mean, I grew up a Michael Jordan fan like everybody else was. Um, that's just my basketball nature coming out. Uh, as okay. far as, like, super inspirational, though, I think that guys like Chad Greenway, Minnesota Viking, does a lot of good things in their community. In And people that – and Adam Thielen, too – the guys that really, really dedicate themselves back to the people and they, they know their roots, that's the people that I tend to want to follow. So, like, if I were to, to dedicate one locally here and the person that kind of inspires me in the modern day versus when I was a kid, Michael Jordan when I was a kid, Adam Thielen and, and Chad Greenway and how they operate are things that I aspire to in my aging. Love it. Appreciate that. And we hope to have... Uh Maybe one of those, if not both, on the podcast eventually. Hey, Wes? You never know. You never know. Uh, place. So you've traveled a lot. Obviously, um, you've traveled many places due to Angie's Kettle Corn and that mm -hmm. whole connection there along the eastern uh, coast and other places throughout the states and whatnot. Is there a favorite place that just felt like holy shit, this is a really, really cool place. I feel I resonate with this, and um, I want to know what place that is and why. Well, besides Mankato, I mean, that really, honestly, without the, with, without the like, Homer mentality, there was seriously the amount of travel that I did reinstilled this town being my go-to favorite place in the world. Um, I loved San Antonio, Texas. It was one of the coolest experiences Uh just the river walk and the culture there. And I mean, I'm a big basketball fan. So the Spurs nation down there, uh, it's one of my favorite forms of basketball was, was during the time when I was down there, Tony Parker, Man Ginobili and, and Tim Duncan. So watching that in a bar with Spurs fans was just second to is, none. Is Brett Brillmeyer still a talent coach down there? He, uh, he was for a while. And then I believe it was at the Cleveland organization. Oh, is he in uh, Cleveland? Uh, he was doing the Cleveland Summer League. Uh, Brett Brillmeyer was a Loyola graduate with, with Bruce and I, and he went on to play in college. At and, Arizona for yep. four years, and then he went to the NBA to be in the coaching. Um, yep. He was with San Antonio for a while, and then he went to the Cavaliers, and he ran their their Summer League coaching program um, in Las Vegas. Uh, I don't know where Brett is at right now. I'm, I mean, Facebook friends with the guy, but he posts as, as much as yeah, uh, very, no one. So. Very infrequently. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I would say San Antonio, Texas is one of the coolest places. I, I I would say as far as like culturally where I really felt like that would be a really sweet spot to to land. That's cool. Never been? 
always wanted to. Um, especially, I hear a lot of clients I talk to at Jay Long's who talk about the River Walk in San Antonio, and it's something I haven't, I've yet to experience. But maybe uh, sometime in the near future, myself and Wes, or myself, Wes, and yourself can walk hand in hand along the River Walk. Can we walk skip? San- we can do whatever you'd like, Bruce. Cool. <laughs> if you're going to cool. join us in the River Walk, I've been there, but I would love to go again. It's yeah. a cool spot. Did you go with your mom? I did, yeah. So when we did our road trip through Texas, did we you stayed guys at a hands hotel. And skip? We do all the time. That's that's our number one activity, such a actually. Good boy. Well, she's a sweetheart. You know, we're going to uh, Ron White this Friday. Oh. Right, you and your mom? Fuck yeah. That was fun. He's sober now, though. I know he is. It'll be but great still, either way. He's yeah, still, he's going to be he's great. Still great. Yeah. yeah, he's, he's playing in Madison, Wisconsin. So I actually bought tickets to Minneapolis because he's performing Saturday in Minneapolis. And then COVID hit. And so I was like, give me my money back. Because I bought four <laughs> tickets. I was going to bring a bunch of people. And then that theater sold out. So I had to buy in Madison, Wisconsin. It'll be a good trip. State Street's fun. You'll, yeah. you'll have a good yeah. time. It'll be oh, good. It is, it is fun. State Street. Good, good times. Last uh, last thing for you uh, this evening, this beautiful evening in Minnesota, Bruce Tanoff. Hey, Bruce, quick question for hey, you. Do you Aaron, have a middle name? What? I do. Can what I, is it? I know it. Eugene. Eugene. So a lot of times, and Wes knows this, in the beginning of podcasts, I ask people what their middle name is. You've probably heard me say that I if you've have. listened to the other ones. I, I did not. I failed to ask you that. That's but okay. Eugene, so where does that come from? So my name is pretty cool. Um, my, my, the Bruce from my name comes from my dad's dad, and the Eugene from my name comes from my mom's dad. So I am Love Bruce it. Eugene. Um, my my. My parents just love the fact that Bad. they were both off their dad, their dads. So I'm very much my grandparents in a in a very true form. Does anybody call you Bat? Uh, no, but it is uh, it 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 has been used many times for like small things. Well, now you are. I, I to me, you're a Bat. No, you're not. Passwords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Come on now. <laughs> you can call me G- Brucey or Gino. That's fine. You want me to call you Brucey or oh, Gino instead Gino. of Bat? We both know a Gino. We don't need that. Yeah. Well, my, my grandpa goes by Gino or Baldy. That was his nickname. Uh, is his nickname. And then my, my grandpa Bruce changed his name from uh, Bruce. It was Warren Bruce Tanoff, and now it's Bruce Warren. But he passed He passed two years ago. So I'm the, the last Bruce Tanoff on the earth right now. Bruce, it's a good name. I like that. My last question for you tonight, Bruce, uh, is if you could give a hug to anybody in the world, okay? My mom. Uh, <laughs> Wes. Sorry, I Calm died. down, Wes. You okay? You got something in your throat? Uh, yeah, got to throw you off every once in a while, right? You were expecting the tree, the tree oh, question. Oh, fucking tree question, folks, I tell you. Uh, if you could give a hug to anybody, um, did you already answer? My mom. Quickly. Oh, you, you said it already. Oh, okay. yeah. I didn't even need to explain. You want to give a hug to your mom? Yeah, my mom's my best, my, the best person I know. I, okay. I call her every day. So that's awesome. If zero reservation. I mean, my mom always has it funny because none of my brothers call her as much as I do, but I call her like every time I'm driving. So I just give her a call and I'm just bullshitting with her. She's like, right "Where are you driving that. today?" <laughs> like, can I can I ask you quickly? Um, so your mother, um, what what's the what what do you think her number one characteristic is that like makes her the best person that she is? Besides that, she doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, what, what makes her her? You know, like, what, why do you call her every day? Why do you feel comfortable the, with her? She is just the, the realest person. Like, you don't get a fake mom. Like, like a mother of boys, and this is 
totally conjecture, so take it for what it is, anybody out there. But my mother does not hold anything back. She doesn't have time to. So she's just straight up who she is. She has zero filter to a fault sometimes, but that's who she is, and that's the best part about her. There's no, like, reading between the lines. She doesn't have time to do that shit. So Love it. Great woman. I'm a big fan. Yep. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Bruce, guys. For this was awesome. Podcast. Yeah, this has been really good. I do believe there will be a second episode, and we'll we'll oh, go wow. even deeper. But uh, tonight was great. So thank you for coming on. I agree. Can thank I, you, Bruce. Can I offer one thing? Yes. The the end of your episodes, you should do what all the smoke does on their podcast. Uh, that's with Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson. It's a basketball podcast, but they always ask their guests. You can't. You have to be able to influence that person to be on the podcast, but who's the recommended podcast guest? We've done that before. We would love to do that with you. Who do you suggest? Dan Bastian. There it is. And Angie Bastian. Love it. Call them out right now. Tell them uh, you're going to help get them on this podcast. Well, believe it, they're on our list. We well, just can, haven't. Uh, I can facilitate. Okay. I got his number. I've been planning to text, but I just haven't I'll give you the warm. Yet. I'll give you the warm introduction. Love that. I'll make sure that they listen to my version of it so they can correct <laughs> all my stuff. There you go. Perfect. Well, Bruce, thank you again. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. We'll Appreciate call you BET. I'm going to call you BET from now on, just no. now that I learned your middle name. So, whatever. He's like, he's like whatever, bro. Sure, Let's guy. be done. Yeah, sure, sure guy. guy. Good night, folks. Thank <laughs> Good you. Night.